From old school to new, from analytics to your gut feeling, and from nuance to a blistering hot take, Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice present to you Political Football. The time has come, people. It's political football time, but the time has come as the Jacksonville Jaguars have done the right thing. So this is political football for those of you who have never seen the show or never heard the show. I'm Matty Ice. I'll bring in Dave. We don't have Cleve today because he's dodging Tua after another big win for Tua. But Dave, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm actually uh, I'm back home in Michigan at uh, Megan's uh, mom's place and hanging out watching Meet the Parents too. Was that Meet the Fockers, I guess? Yeah. Uh, so if, if you hear uh, uh, what's his face, Ben Stiller or uh, Robert De Niro in the background, that's uh, that's what's happening here at the at the house. Nothing says Christmas like Meet the Fockers. So Dave, uh, I, I have a surprise for you. It's sad that that Cleve is not here to hear this, but I recorded something that I want to play for you and for the audience, and I think you will enjoy it. Are you ready? Let's do it. What if I told you that the greatest coach in college football history completely tanked? his NFL gig, that he would coach the most innocent college quarterback ever, but would also coach Aaron Hernandez, that he would take his family to his own restaurant, but stay back to teach his grandkids about grinding co-eds, that he would defeat Nick Saban with a third-string quarterback, but not know what to do with Trevor Lawrence, that he would ironically kick his own kicker but forget to ask him to prove how he was a winner. And that he would apologize to Buckeye Nation, but then also hire a known racist. ESPN presents a 30 for 30 special, Urban Cowboy, the balls on this guy. So there you go. I put that together. Uh, Oh, I love it. Yeah, we had a Tyrod one, and I felt like I had to do something for Urban and so I gave him the 30 for 30 treatment, and I hope you guys enjoyed it because I had a lot of fun writing it and, uh, and putting it together. I could have thrown in so many things there for Urban, like the, ima- the amount of ridiculous things that I found that would have been appropriate, but I went with some of the more uh, low-hanging fruit just because it was still fucking funny. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you, though, that is one thirty for 30. I hope they never make. I never want to watch. I mean, I guess if it's about this one season for Jacksonville and Urban's part of it, but I don't want to watch anything that like is about Urban Meyer. Wouldn't it mostly be a positive experience, though? Like, don't they mostly give the 30 for 30 people kind of a shine? And I feel like this wouldn't like it would almost be too good for him. Yeah, yeah. It would be like a the documentary that made Ted Bundy look like some smart, suave, debonair dude and not like a psychopathic killer. That's what I'm talking about is most of the 30 for 30s try to focus on something good in the end. And I feel like that that would just be glorifying what is mostly crappy behavior, despite the fact that ESPN and college football are kind of in, you know, in bed together and they've made a lot of money together. And Urban Meyer has contributed to that in some fashion. But the funny part is, is the Urban thing. So for any of you who doesn't know, uh, Urban got fired this week. Thank God. Like, just thank God. And I've been going back into the the old episodes of the show to put together like a clip show for the end of the year. And in week one, your only note on the Texans-Jaguars game was LOL Urban Meyer. <laughs> that is correct. That is uh, the, only th- the only thing they had to say about it. Because, man, he is, was, was this the worst coaching stint in NFL history? 
there can't be a worse one, can there? I mean, I'm sure we could debate on some others that were pretty, pretty bad. Like, didn't Lou Holtz have a terrible one? But the extracurriculars that come along with all the losing is what puts this over the top for me. Like, it's just an yeah. unmitigated disaster. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I mean, you hate to see it, but you kind of love to see it. Could not happen to a better guy. Yeah, could not happen to a better guy. And at this point in time, no matter what he is doing, he doesn't believe that he did anything wrong. Like, he's talking, right. he's talking about, how he's like, I'm I'm really sad that this didn't, didn't go well. And he's talking about it purely from a wins and losses perspective, having nothing to do with any of the other stuff because he believes all of that is justified because he really is the embodiment of toxic leadership. Yeah, and that's not a skip over this important detail that the Jags don't want to pay him the rest of his contract. They're saying that they're going to fire him with cause because he kicked the kicker. And like, I kind of thought Urban Meyer was trying to get fired from like week four. But get paid the rest of his deal, maybe go back to television, something like that. But I don't think they're going to pay him. The thing about it, though, is don't you think the Jaguars knew about the Josh Lambeau incident way before it got leaked before all this? Like that was made to seem like the straw that broke the camel's back. But I really think that they knew about this and they just were hoping that maybe the, the play on the field would get better because he could have survived this had he actually been winning. Yes, but I also think that the Jags like, oh, who leaked it? I, I would not be surprised if Josh Lambeau got a call and was like, hey, why don't you go ahead and go do a podcast and express the story now? Go ahead. And like, because I mean. they were so sick of it and give them the give them the cover, you know, that's what I mean. So like they knew, I think, when it happened and they just kind of let it go. And now when it's convenient for them to fire him, because you've said this about a lot of other guys that it's easy, like Gruden, it was easier to fire him for all that because the stint had been mostly disappointing. Like if Gruden had won a Super Bowl in that time period, the Raiders probably wouldn't have been so quick to act necessarily, but it was easy for them. And we've said this about Urban all season, that it, because of the losing, it was going to be easy for them to fire him for that alone, let alone all the other shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, I totally agree. But either way, I'm I'm glad that Urban Meyer is gone. Well, obviously never coaching the NFL again. Should probably never coach at a level that matters in college again i would i would hope this is notre dame so i would hope for that so hopefully we can just be done with this guy and he could become a uh on running joke instead of on running tormentor of his players i agree so before we get into the games that happened i think the big theme of the week was covid and i think it's still a theme right now right um yeah so i wanted to ask you we talked about whether they should play the games last week and i kind of wondered to myself if maybe the nfl has pinned itself into a corner a little bit with all of this testing or not testing and all that stuff so where do you personally lie with all of this stuff as far as vaccinated players not playing and so forth? Because I think it can get a little bit muddled uh, with all the protocols that they have. And obviously being vaccinated is better than being unvaccinated. So where do you kind of sit with that? So there's a couple of issues here. So we don't know a lot about the Omicron variant yet and how, you know, the, the, the perfect data behind this. For the Delta variant, we do know that it is much harder for a vaccinated person to catch the Delta variant. And it is much harder for a vaccinated person to give the Delta variant to somebody else. Omicron, it would appear, appear just based on how fast it's spreading, that it's certainly easier for vaccinated people to get Omicron, which I think is well established. What I don't know is how easily vaccinated people can give Omicron to others. I'm guessing it's also probably easier, but I am not a doctor. I'm just, that's just my guess based on the numbers here. So I think that they should be testing everybody every single day, doing full surveillance. And if you test positive, you go into the protocol because positive or vaccinated people who are positive can 
spread the disease to others which means that they can increase community spread and the goal is to not do that so test everybody every single day if they're positive they're done and if the league can't sustain that you got to shut it down for you know six weeks or whatever and come back after what do you think the percentage of unvaccinated people that we're protecting are not by choice but because they can't do it you know what i mean like they're medically some medical thing I don't count religious exemption because that to me is a little bit different than medical. But you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you think the percentages yeah. of people that physically cannot because they have been medically yeah. told that they can't? Yeah, religious exemption doesn't count. You can't not get uh, vaccinated because you like Star Wars or whatever. That doesn't count. I, I'm sure that data probably actually exists, but I, I don't think it's very high. I think it's a pretty stiff uh, bar to have to clear to not be able to get it. So I would say 10% maximum probably. But again, that data probably does probably does exist, but I don't think the number is super high. It certainly isn't 25% of the population or something like that. Yeah, it just seems at this point, having gotten it myself, doing all the right things and being careful, that it seems almost like everybody's going to get it eventually. And so that's why I wonder if with the NFL and with the country in general, how sustainable it is to, to do your model where it feels like no matter what we do, unless we go back to either making everybody get the vaccine, which I feel like would to be a little bit tricky from a government perspective as far as like the general population like for me being a government worker i had to get it i already had it so i was clear but i just wonder like at what point we have to kind of assimilate this into our lives only because of the fact that it seems like no matter what we do there's going to be variants and people are still going to catch it so yes and no but football is not something that we need no the nfl is not something that's mandatory or necessary for survival so if the players are spreading it around to one another through their football activities, that also puts the community at risk. And that is not something that we need. That's true. Right. And so I don't think the NFL qualifies in this discussion at all or the NBA or the NHL or the Olympics or any sports in general, especially because we're talking about taking a pause and the NFL could pause, move everything back in the February and just go. I mean, it wouldn't be the best thing in the world, but they could certainly do it. And so it depends on what our goals as society is for the pandemic. For me personally, I want to like kill as few people as possible. And I think if that's the case, the NFL needs to test everybody because all their players are in a Jimmy G bad interception. All the players are in close contact with each other. And that means that they're a risk to uh, to the community as they spread it amongst amongst one another. And so they just shouldn't they shouldn't be playing if they're if they're positive and they have the means to test everybody every single day. And that's what they should be doing. Now, I like where you're coming from with the NFL is not necessary part because that is it's an entertainment valve. It's not something that's necessary. You know, like these frontline workers who are out there, the people that they've considered frontline. It's just my thoughts on COVID have not changed necessarily, but they've certainly morphed having gotten it, knowing what I did and knowing trying to do all <laughs> the right things. And so I, I've been having more conversations about it because it just it was very disappointing that I got it. Like I almost felt like, did I do something wrong? But then I realized I didn't do anything wrong. It probably was just a matter of time before it happened. And then catching it from a vaccinated person was also like, damn, come on now. And it is what it is. But I will say this for anybody who wants to know, because I think I'm the only one on the show who's had it, right? You and yes. Cleve did not get it. Um, nope. Thankfully, you know, being young, relatively, and, and at least younger than Cleve, and young and, <laughs> and relatively healthy, despite the fact that at the end of this year, I've put on quite a bit of weight because, hey, my mom died and shit gets heavy. And... You know, it was really not that bad for me. Uh, it really wasn't that bad for my wife. She probably took it the worst. And it was a couple of days of, hey, I, she couldn't parent. Like, she needed to just be where we are right now, where I'm sitting right now, just watching Hallmark, not doing anything. 
And I never really had that. I really had just mild congestion. And my son thankfully bounced back in like two days. He was good to go. And we're all pretty much back to normal. I have a little bit of like a frog in my throat because that's kind of where we are. And I think that's because of the vaccine. And I'm very happy that I got it. And I just feel like I didn't want to take the risk of, even though, okay, I'm younger and healthy, I don't want to take the risk of it being a bad scenario. Like I happen to have that one bout of COVID without a vaccine that puts me in the hospital. And I just want to say from a vaccine perspective, neither none of us went to the hospital. None of us died. That's the goal, right? right. It's not necessarily to never get it. It's to not have those awful outcomes. And we didn't have those awful outcomes. And so in the end, I feel like having the vaccine was the best thing. So thankfully, it wasn't that bad for us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it would be like that for anybody. And I think what a lot of people have done here is said, well, it wasn't that bad for me, so it can't be that bad overall. It just depends on your situation. And the other thing too, because, you know, last week feels like 10 years ago during the pandemic, flattening the curve remains a goal at all times. We cannot have hospitals too full of people with COVID to care for everybody else, right? Because even if you are vaccinated or you're young and healthy and COVID isn't much of a threat to you, a car accident is, you know, a heart attack gets people that are under 40 all the time Mm -hmm. and you need room in the hospitals for all these or for our grandparents that are vaccinated and are being safe. You know, old people just have stuff happen to them and they need to go to the hospital. We cannot have hospitals full of COVID people because they need to be able to take care of everybody in in the community. So not only is the spread bad for giving people COVID, if it gets too bad, it actually does endanger every single person who might need emergency life-saving care at some point. So flattening the curve always has to be a goal, no matter what. So COVID actually hit us. I mean, I I very briefly shared about the stuff with my mom, but uh, before she died, you know, COVID and the hospital thing was really affecting her because she was falling a lot. She lost a lot of her motion when she was living by herself still. And it was difficult to get a bed even in Connecticut because of the COVID stuff. And I don't think I shared this part of it with you guys, but when I went to visit her for the last time, they had had a positive test at the nursing home. And I had to go in in a gown, three masks and a face shield. And once I got in the room, I didn't care because I knew she was dying. And so, you know, I'm not going to say goodbye to my mom with all that stuff on, but it did affect a lot of things that people don't realize. Like going to these places where these people are, I mean, my mom was, was at her last end and she really couldn't see anybody because of the fact that all these protocols were in place. And so it took a lot right. from a lot of people. And right. I think that it's good to have the humanity part of that out there. And I mean, early on in the pandemic, people had to say goodbye to loved ones through glass or on an iPad. And I can't even imagine what that's like. I didn't mean to derail this, but it was a huge factor this week. Like, and it's going to continue to be a factor the rest of the season, I think. Yeah, it's not a derailment at all. I mean, so I'm back in Michigan. I'm seeing family every every single day. So I've not been as up, you know, on the news and on Twitter every single second like I normally am. So, like, I might even say a player coming up this week, like, oh, I'm so excited to see Delvin Cook play. And, oh, Delvin Cook's got COVID. Like, so we have to take that with a grain of salt. But that's sort of what it is. Like, yeah, people people could be getting this at, uh, at any point in the league. So it really is going to be a huge uh, a huge thing. One last point on this before we move on to the NFL games. The college teams don't need to disclose anybody's COVID status. Mm-hmm. And so it might feel like Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and Cincinnati don't have any issues with it, but they don't have to say anything. We won't know until the players aren't there for warmups. Yeah. And I, they're saw, positive. and I saw that Michigan all went as a team to get their boosters, which uh, is a good move. Yes. Uh, kind of wish they had done it sooner. Yeah. 
uh, would have been a, like a nice way to celebrate the Ohio State victory. But yes, it, it is good, and hopefully, it encourages some other people to uh, to go to go and do that. And you know, I the college football playoff could they actually probably could move less than the NFL can. Yeah, the NFL has full reign over what they can do. The college football playoff, they might really just have to run out if Michigan and Georgia are down eight starters each. It might just be like, well, good luck. Yeah, I mean, these kids got to get back to exams anyway, so they can't keep pushing these games <laughs> off. So I mean. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the NFL this week, I didn't watch as much as I normally would. Just for some reason, I didn't like watch the, the primetime games, but I did catch Red Zone as always. So uh, hopefully we can have a good little banter here back and forth. We don't have Cleve to bounce questions off of and say this person exists, but uh, let's get at it. We might get a couple of them anyways. So the first yeah. game going all the way back to last Thursday night, which for us recording this is one week ago. Yes. <laughs> uh we had the Chiefs 34, the Chargers 28, and this was a game that went to overtime, and finally all three Chiefs exploded in the same game. Mahomes goes 31 of 47 for 410 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. And remember how a couple weeks ago, like Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill combined for like three catches for 20 yards? Well, this week, Tyreek, 12 catches, 148 yards and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, 10 catches, 191 yards and two touchdowns. So, like, they finally just all got on the same page, started doing well against a good team, and they were able to win a high-scoring game. Yeah, they were. So a couple questions about some of the decisions that Brandon Staley made, because I went back and kind of educated myself about the game. I know that he Mm -hmm. went for it quite a bit on fourth down. He's been consistent in that all season long. I think a couple of them were inside the five-yard line, and and they ended up not getting any points. And I know that we have talked about favoring being aggressive a majority of the time, and most of the time it's related to game situation and so forth. Do you think that perhaps if he had gone, if he had kicked the field goal one of those times that the Chargers might have won that game? Like, do you think some of the coaching had anything to do with the outcome? No, because he coached correctly to win the game. There was only one time where I didn't like them going for it on fourth down. uh, And that was one of the two times they were inside the five. And that's because it was the end of the first half, like almost the very end. Yeah. And part of the big advantage for going for it on fourth and goal, especially really close to the goal line, is that if you don't make it, the other team has awful field position. Right. So we're like, oh, they went for it on fourth down and didn't make it. What an idiot. If they had just gotten fourth and 13 from midfield and punted it and downed them at the one, everybody would be so excited about the outcome. Yeah. So like the downside of not making it on a fourth and goal is a downed punt inside the five, which is a decent outcome for when you don't score on a possession anyways. So it's worth it because seven points is worth a way more than three as well. Right. Typically that all that together makes it worth it to go for it. Unless you're in a very game-specific situation, like a field goal ties or wins the game late right. or something like that. But at the end of the first half, the field position doesn't matter for the Chiefs. There was right. like 22 seconds left. So they were they, that part came out of it. I would have kicked it there, but it's still very close mathematically. All the other decisions were correct. Every single one of them was the correct thing to do to give them the best chance uh, to win the game. And they didn't. I mean, they lost this game by six in overtime in a game where Patrick Mahomes threw for 400 yards. And they made like none of their fourth down conversions. The real question is, if they make two, do they win this game? Not if they kick a field goal, right? If they actually execute on the strategy they they employed, they probably win this game by 10 points in regulation. Oh, right. But you know, I don't have an issue with them going for it on fourth down. But the one at the the end of the half where you you can take some points there. Yes. And if you think about it, that could have mattered mainly because you know the game was tied so i mean if they got some points there maybe it changes the situation down the line i'm not advocating for them to kick field goals like cliff kingsbury here and i I want them to continue to be aggressive 
but that one specifically did kind of stand out because of the situation at hand where they weren't going to get some kind of an advantage on the Chiefs by by not making it because there's so little time left. Yeah, but he's getting he's getting some uh, some flack from Twitter eggs and talking heads for kind of the strategy in total. You know, oh, you're too aggressive on fourth down sort of deal when really they were all correct except for maybe the one at the end of the half. And even that one wasn't that wrong. I just really like the upside of pinning the team deep in their own territory as part of that decision. So when that comes out of the equation, I would say just take your sure your sure three points. Uh, but I did not I did not have any issues with any of the the decisions that were made. And I continue to think that Brandon Staley is one of the absolute sharpest coaches. Oh, I think so too. So on the Chiefs' end, obviously Mahomes was able to get it to his two biggest weapons. But after that, who the hell are they throwing to? What, yeah, but when the two biggest weapons go, quick math, 22 for 291, 239 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, what else do you need? You know, that's that'll do it. No, it will. But I'm talking about when they get into the playoffs type of thing. Like, can they do this every single game? I mean, this is a huge output for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a bit of an unfair criticism, though, because like the Vikings only have Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and the Titans only have A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. I mean, there's lots of teams that only build around having two good skill position players and they're not connected to Patrick Mahomes. The Ravens only have Marquise Brown and uh, Mark Andrews at this point. So, you know, I mean, the 49ers have a few, but really, really they're Debo and Kittle. They got some other, you know, their ancillary pieces are better than the Chiefs, but the Chiefs can win a Super Bowl with Mahomes, Tyreek, and Kelsey playing well and Michael Harmon running wind sprints. Now, I was just so. going back to your analysis of the Chiefs in our preview when you said that they lack the offensive depth. And so that's why I was asking, like, if one of these guys is out, aren't they kind of in trouble? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think so. I don't think they have anybody who could really come in and, and fill in fill in for them. But if the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, none of these guys are going to be out in the playoffs. Like if if Mahomes, Kelsey, or Tyreek gets hurt in the playoffs, they're probably not winning the Super Bowl anyway. So yeah. if the argument is the Chiefs have won the Super Bowl, we can presume they all made it. Yeah. So I felt like this game was a good indication for the Chiefs, of course. And I felt like it was still an okay indication for the Chargers. I mean, they kept up with the Chiefs and had one or two things gone their way, they'd be in the driver's seat in that division right now. Yes, correct. I think the Chargers are a very talented team, and I still think they are a good bet to just... I mean, if the Chargers never lost another game this season, including the playoffs, or won the Super Bowl, would you really be that shocked? No, not really. But you could say that about... Yeah. You could say that about probably a handful of teams at this point, but the Chargers are in that discussion. Could you say that about a handful of teams that are not going to win their division? Probably not. Right. It's like whatever NFC West team doesn't win their division. Yeah. The Chargers, right? That's what basically what I was thinking is an NFC West team. Right. So that makes them like the absolute best wild card in the AFC. Probably. Yeah, probably. I would yeah. think so. Notice, notice we did not mention Buffalo there. All right. Next game. We have the Patriots 17 at the Colts 27. We kind of said on post game last week that we thought this was a spot where the Colts might just kind of work the Patriots and they did. I don't think this game was as close as score indicated, even though at one point it was 20 to 17. The Colts were up 20 to nothing going to the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Patriots cut it to 20 to 17, I believe, yes. maybe 20 to 14. And then, yep. And then Jonathan Taylor just rips off this massive touchdown run, but it never really felt like the, the Patriots were going to come back and win this game. And part of that is that Mac Jones threw like two really bad interceptions. Yeah. But I was actually very bullish once I saw those because I realized he never does that. It was so shocking because he doesn't throw terrible interceptions. Yeah. And I will say this about the Patriots. I remember how a couple weeks ago you talked about Buffalo winning big in Buffalo and it was going to be a situational result. 
That's what mm-hmm. I felt about this game. That this was going to be one of those games. But like when I broke it down, I again I went back and watched it because I was this was actually the night that I was feeling terrible from COVID, so I didn't unfortunately watch it live. But Mac Jones threw two interceptions that look like rookie interceptions. He doesn't do that very yep. often, but he did. I mean, it's going to happen every now. Even Brady throws bad interceptions. It happens every now and again. But I like the fight that they showed. And if not for a stupid blocked punt, like the blocked punt touchdown, which doesn't help you at all, right? Doesn't help you in the least. So, I mean, those are points that you're giving them on the board that they didn't have to earn the same way that they would if they drove the field to go get them. I like that they at least came back. And Jonathan Taylor, up until that 60-something yard run, I think he had like, what, 28 carries for like just over 100 yards. So it wasn't as if he was like bull rushing them like he did to Buffalo. So they stayed in the game enough to win it and allowing a 67 yard run with two minutes to go like that's going to bury you. I'm not that disappointed in the loss. I feel like I felt like what I really felt like is their bye week came way too late because they were on a seven game heater and then they basically get a bye week and kind of stop a little bit of the momentum and mac jones even said they were kind of lethargic in practice which is like never great coming out of a bye week who the hell knows it is what it is but they're still nine and five and i don't think we thought they were going to be nine and five and for you to feel like i'm surprised that mac jones threw those that tells me a lot about his growth this season yeah and just where where he's at especially relative to the other rookie the other rookie quarterbacks uh the other quarterback in this game carson wentz do you know his stat line offhand? Yeah, I think he was like 5 of 12. Yeah, 5 of 12 for 57 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. This tells me that in this game, the Patriots got Patriots. Did Yes. They got defensive and run on, and they just got beat at their own at their own game here. But we kind of expected that coming into this game. So I don't, to me, this is more confirmation that the Colts are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. And like if they if they do make the playoffs, they probably deserve to be there and they could do a little, they might be able to do a little something once they get there. Like they're not the Raiders. They're not the Steelers. They're not the Browns. Like they're they're legitimately good and you know it doesn't tell me much about the patriots i think the patriots are one of the favorites to make the super bowl yeah and they're that's surprising but you have to i mean i from a fan perspective i have to be very very impressed with the job that mac jones has done how much of that do you think has to do with the coaching versus mac jones as a player because i know like we've talked about prospects and all that stuff and he was not as good of a prospect as a lot of the other guys that were drafted because he didn't have what we thought was the same kind of ceiling but do you think this has to do with him being a great fit for the team and the coaching and all that stuff because he's not flashy right he's not he goes in there he's very boring he's kind of I don't want to say dopey, but do you, you know what I mean? Like he's not, yeah. he's like what Tom Brady felt like at first. Tom Brady was not as cool as he comes off as now in these subway commercials. Like he was a total like dork way back in the day. Uh, Tom Brady is still a total dork, by the way. I mean, he uh, is, but he just looks a hell of a lot better. Somehow he's the only person in humanity who gets better looking as he gets older. The rest of us start to look even more like death. Uh, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford would like a word, but uh, you know, I think that for Mac Jones, I don't really think it's coaching so much, although it's hard to tell because it's Tom Brady so good. It doesn't matter who his coach is now or did or did Bill Belichick make Tom Brady this good? Like, there's no real way without doing like a control test to figure that out. But Mac Jones, Mac Jones, his second year at Alabama or his second year as a starter was a bit unfair because they had Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris in the backfield. The year before was even more disgusting because they had Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy in addition to all those other guys. 
However, he had to come in for Tua when he got hurt. So he sort of got thrusted into the situation. And the bowl game that year, they played in Michigan. And going into the game, I was like, I mean, Michigan's probably going to get stopped because look at all the talent these guys have. But their quarterback isn't that great. Like maybe we can. And he went for like 400 yards and four touchdowns. It just, you know, slaughtered Michigan. And I was like, okay, he's actually probably pretty good. And I started paying more attention to him. So he's not a great prospect because he can't run. But there's no reason he can't be Matt Ryan. Yeah, and Matt Ryan won an MVP and probably should have won a yep. Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, he should have. Yeah, they, they, except they, for coaching, Dan Quinn, baby. Um, but let me ask you though, Mac Jones, if he's with Matt Nagy, he's not this good, right? He's probably a. He's not this good. I mean, obviously, but like he's also probably not doing terrible. We're probably sitting around like, man, we can't wait for this guy to get a new coach. Uh, but the Bears offense also would not be as dynamic as it is with Justin Fields under center. Uh, dynamic is not the same thing as, as efficient as we'll get to. Yes. But, you know, I think I think Mac Jones is just a very competent starting quarterback as a absolute baseline floor. And that works for me. Like, yeah, he is. He is already better than Jared Goff at Jared Goff's best. And foreshadowing a little bit, you asked Cleve a question offline, and I noticed one of the guys you didn't mention was Mac Jones. Yeah, because I thought that actually would be an obvious uh, obvious answer there. So uh, moving on to the next game here, we've got the Titans 13, Steelers 19, and this was an AFC South-ass game. This game was brutal to watch. It was brutal to have players in this game on DraftKings. It was just awful all the way around. Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 25 times, for 148 yards that is less than six yards per attempt for a guy whose entire game is chucking the ball down the field julio jones no catches no yards hurt his hamstring or his quad or his whatever uh the steelers are still alive to make the playoffs after this win but only 17 percent according to 538 which i found kind of shocking given how bundled up the afc north is but the math still really doesn't like the steelers is that to win the division or just make the playoffs in general make make the playoffs wow yeah so the, like I said, the math does not does not like Pittsburgh, which is good because I don't like Pittsburgh this year either. No, I don't like him either. I saw something that was like, is Mike Tomlin the best coach in the NFL? And I was like, a Bill Belichick would like to have a word. The Lions will win seven games this year before Mike Tomlin is the best coach in the NFL. Still amazes me that Cleve had that take. And I, I listened back to last week and you said that he bet on the wrong trash squad and it was the Falcons. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing take. <laughs> Tickles me every time I listen to it. That video, that soundbite is easily the best thing we've produced this season. Oh, I I, uh, I completely uh, agree. Now, not the best they've produced this season would be Najee Harris. 12 carries for 18 yards, two catches for eight yards. That's awful. Just awful. I mean, you touch the ball 14 times for 26 yards. Yeah. I, I Doing good work. And they won. That's the thing. Like, the Steelers won this game, and once again, this is like the Lions game where, every, where both teams just deserved an L. Yeah. Like, the Steelers have won, like, one or tied, I think, four different games this year where they should have just been, like, awarded an L after the fact. Can you imagine if Najee Harris played for, say, Kyle Shanahan? He'd probably be getting more than 24 yards on his uh, 12 t- touches or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, if he played for, I mean, really any team with a competent quarterback coach and offensive line of which the Steelers have half of one of those I'd say Tomlin's half a competent coach yeah so uh master motivator that's worth something but I mean just flip him and Joe Mixon Najee Harris has Joe Mixon numbers and Joe Mixon has Najee Harris numbers yeah so Najee Harris is rushing for 58 yards on 28 carries I got you I'm I'm pulling with you (laughs) I bet for this season I got you uh the next game we've got the Panthers 14 at the Bills 31 this game, 
I, I like it felt like the final score was Bills 58 Panthers 3. It really felt like this game was just a complete a complete blowout. Josh Allen this game uh 19 to 34 for 210 yards, three touchdowns, one interception and like what he is back to once again being the number one quarterback in fantasy to you know through week 15 on the season. He's just really really good. The Panthers are just embarrassingly bad right now. Yeah, I mean, Cam goes 18 of 38 for 156 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 15 carries for 71 yards, and they're talking about mixing in Sam Darnold this week. I saw that, and I was like, oh, Sam's coming back? I mean, I guess he's got to play for his pride and his integrity at this point, and another well, job. They, they need to play him for next year because they owe him $22 million for next year, so I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's got to be on the team somewhat, so they got to like start start playing him. I think, I think they might be committed to him, you know, for for another season on the team at least i mean they'd be really expensive not to play them so they put themselves in a bad situation if if sam darnold really is that bad again we saw sam darnold with like three games with christian mccaffrey and they yeah. looked okay and won two of them but that's my question is what do they do if they can't get consistent t- play time from cmc because he's been hurt a lot and i know they're not necessarily related but when he's not on the field he's not in the field and they have looked like a completely different team when he's not in the field well, they should spend their offseason optimizing around two decisions. What are they going to do at quarterback in 2023? And how do they have an effective offense where Christian McCaffrey touches the ball 19 times a game and not 32 times a game? Those are the two things they need to be looking to for the next for the next couple of years if they want to get anywhere near the, where they want to go. Because they have to assume, I mean, it might not be right, but they should assume that in 2023, Matt Ryan won't be with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady won't be with the Bucks. And who knows who's going to be with the Saints anyways. So, like, they have a chance to have the best quarterback or the best prospect at quarterback in 2023 if they have a working offense with McCaffrey not getting hurt all the time, not getting, you know, reduced workload, but it's still effective. They could be in a good position in just two years to really be competitive. Don't they basically have to do what the Saints have done with Kamara? is have some other pieces around him. And I mean, I know they had Drew Brees, who was a Hall of Fame quarterback, but in the last couple of years, he had clearly declined in terms of his explosiveness as a quarterback. I mean, we've saw some flashes from Darnold this season. He looked really good, and they weren't playing terrible teams at the beginning of the season. So I do agree with you. They have to go back and figure it out because they have some pieces. DJ Moore is is good. Uh, Robbie Anderson has some talent. And obviously, if they can better make better, more efficient offense with cmc so that he can stay on the field longer and maximize his usage i think they have something cooking here unfortunately they got rid of joe brady because it was all his fault yeah absolutely by the way if you look at like the underlying statistical metrics that all the nerds look at for dj moore he's actually great yeah like it it's really situational and it's possible he either goes to another team or Darnold plays better or like just it could just be like really bad variants. But when you look at all the stuff like underlying his performances, like he could easily explode like Debo did this year and just all of a sudden be like, oh, this is like the most important player on the team. And he's just absolutely fantastic. And that, that really happened for DJ Moore. They need to figure that out. They need to get that out of them because I think they have a chance. I mean, they should be a little bit better than five and nine, even without McCaffrey. I feel like they should have been a little bit better, but they just weren't. Yeah. Now for the Bills, Gabe Davis in this game, five catches, 85 yards and two touchdowns. He is emerging at the exact right time as a second year wide receiver because mm-hmm. he's he's better than Manny Sanders already. And he doesn't play the same position as Cole Beasley, but I feel like he's going to be a more explosive, better option than yeah. Cole Beasley in the playoffs as well. And then the Bills right now have a 76 percent chance to make the playoffs. They play the Patriots this week. Yeah. If they beat the Patriots, they're at 98 percent. Oh, yeah. 
if the, if they lose, they're at sixty percent. But here's the thing: their next two games are against Atlanta and the Jets. Yeah. If they lose to the Patriots, they're at sixty percent. If they beat Atlanta and the Jets, they're still only at sixty four percent. Really? Yeah. So they this game against the Patriots is very huge for like not having to sweat towards the end of the year. You know, sixty four percent with all that unknown is actually still a very high percent. You know, because yeah. that could be sixty four, but if like the Bengals lose a game, it goes to seventy one, right? So that sixty four percent after the other two wins is still a decent percentage this far out. But it's amazing, like their entire season might actually hinge on, or their ability to control their own destiny this season might just hinge on them beating the Patriots this week. Or it hinges on the fact that they lost nine to six to the Jacksonville Jaguars and a now fired Urban Meyer. Absolutely unbelievable. Speaking of the Jacksonville Jaguars, we have the Texans 30 at the Jags uh, 16. And I actually want to give a a shout out to some listeners that we have. So I know that the uh, Sunrise Pharmacy team out in Las Vegas, we got a few listeners. And uh, one of them, Rohit, is a big time Jags fan. So first of all, apologies. And that's coming from a Lions fan. But, uh, you know, I'm glad you're listening to us as we just bash your team, bash your franchise, bash your owner. But uh, hope hope it turns around for you guys. And we had uh, this game they lost uh, 30 to 16 to the Texans. Davis Mills, 19 of 30 for 209 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. And so the question that I asked Cleve offline when I knew when I found out he wasn't going to be here tonight was for the Jets next year. If you had just put one quarterback to take over your franchise, would you pick Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence or Davis Mills? He took Trevor who did Lawrence. You, who did you think he was going to say? Trevor Lawrence. Me too. Yep. I thought so. Do you think it was close? Not really. I, I, he's definitely not going to pick Zach. That's unequivocally clear. He's not a Zach Wilson guy, so I had to return the jersey that I got him for Christmas this year because I didn't think that he'd ever wear it. Um, But the Davis Mills thing is so funny because, again, another guy taking over for Tyrod, and he's actually looked pretty good in spurts this season, and he's a rookie, so he's had some games that he's looked absolutely terrible, and you would expect that given the fact that the Texans have... Who who was he throwing to? Because Brandon Cooks had a breakout game. Yeah, Brandon Cooks had seven catches for 102 yards and two touchdowns. So he just exploded. I mean, that's almost that's almost half the yards, a third of the catches, and both of the touchdowns going to Cooks. Isn't Brandon Cooks like 58 years old now, though? No, he's he's just had 42 concussions. That's yeah. what it feels like. I think he, I think he's like 28. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> form, former Patriot for a random ass year that they ended up getting a better first round pick in return when they traded him. He was in the same draft class as uh, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, and Odell Beckham. He came out the same year, 2014. Yeah, but the Texans have nobody, is my point. And so for him to look halfway decent a couple of times may be positive for them. But as far as a guy that you want to pin your franchise on, I don't know. I feel like Trevor Lawrence this year, it's so difficult to give him a fair evaluation because he's been with one of the all-time worst NFL head coaches. And how can he... How can he progress under that terrible, terrible situation? And I understand they fired Urban Meyer, but it's still not alleviated because of that. Like, and they still don't really have any talent. And I feel like Trevor Lawrence needs, God, I hate to say this, but he almost needs like somebody to come in there and like nurture him back again because he's been abused at this point. It's like, it's like when somebody gets abused and is an abusive relationship and they have trouble kind of like letting go to the next person that they meet. And Trevor Lawrence yeah. is kind of like, I, I don't know. And also isn't Darrow Bevel the, the, the coach? So he's, you know, coming off of all the the stink from the Super Bowl that they lost because he wouldn't feed the ball to Marshawn. 
Yeah, but uh, don't worry. Daryl Bevel rehabbed his uh, his image by going to coordinate the Lions' offense and then getting fired. So. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that it's a fair thing, and I think that Trevor Lawrence is is a fine pick from Cleve. I was expecting him to say Aaron Rodgers personally, because but you didn't give him that. <laughs> you didn't give him that choice. So I don't know. I feel like who do you think the Jags hire next year? I think they should hire Byron Leftwich. I think so too. Uh, pr- proven coordinator at uh the bucks young well regarded played for the franchise you know i think you know somebody could walk in and talk about having a better culture you know he predates being known before shot Khan. i just think he'd be a great hire for them and i think it's a great hire for trevor lawrence again because byron leftwich Mm -hmm. was drafted very high to be kind of the guy for that franchise uh, he was great in college, by the way. I got to see him play live, and uh, he was pretty spectacular as a quarterback in college. Yep. But uh, I was just curious because the Jags are in a free fall, and it was not going to look better. Like, coming into this game, I was like, they're not going to look any better than they have looked. And now they got swept by the Texans. That's just fantastic. So I actually thought, watching Trevor Lawrence, that he looked much better in this game. They just, the team in general is just completely beaten down. Like, there's they're not coming back and doing and doing anything this year. So... You know, I thought he looked better just in general. I could tell he was certainly happy to not have to be dealing with Urban Meyer. Yeah. But most importantly for the Jags, they now have the number one pick. Yes. And I think they'd be very smart to trade out of that pick if they can. Oh, yeah. they need the, they don't need a quarterback. They, so. need, they need the capital. Like, they really need to build. And that number one pick this year, unfortunately, they're not going to get nearly what they could have had it been last year. But uh, yeah. because the quarterback class is not nearly what it was last year. But it's still valuable, and teams are going to go and pick a quarterback that need a quarterback. So get what you can for it, because I don't think that they need to pick whoever they could pick or would need to pick at number one that they probably couldn't take somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, they should be able to take... So Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson should be there at two. Right. Which means that if somebody just to get a quarterback, they trade it from three to get a quarterback. I mean, it's it, it'll be interesting to see. I think that Thibodeau or Hutchinson are really good, are really good prospects. But I think just in general, that team needs... They need so much help in so many places. They should just yeah trade back if they can and, and get and get a lot more capital. Agreed. The next game we got the Cowboys twenty one at the Giants six. How much of this game did you see? Uh, enough to kind of feel like the Cowboys offense was not very efficient, but they didn't lose them the game, and the defense played played really really well. It was a strange game. It was a very strange game. This game, I think, if the Cowboys had played the Lions this week, they would have lost too. Given the way they played, I think I think the Lions would have beat would have beat the Cowboys this week had they had they lined up and played like this. So Dak goes twenty eight of thirty seven for two hundred seventeen yards, one touchdown, no picks. Uh, Tony Pollard starting running back, twelve carries for seventy four yards. Ezekiel Elliott starting fullback, sixteen carries for fifty two yards and a touchdown. So like nothing spectacular, nothing great. Amari Cooper had like two catches. I didn't even write it down what uh what he did, but the defense just swarmed Giants. And I think I think I did say in a post game last week that the Giants would have no solution for the Cowboys pass rush. I agree. So I want to ask you about the Cowboys. They had, I think five or six red zone chances and they got points on all of them, I believe, but they could only put it in the end zone when they got the turnovers in a short field. Their red zone efficiency has been iffy of late Mm -hmm. and their offense has not been efficient whatsoever. Like I'm not necessarily looking for them to be flashy chiefs esque but they just cannot get any level of consistency going. And the defense has helped them out incredibly by getting a lot of turnovers, giving them short fields, being able to convert. But I agree with you that if they played any other team, 
for the most part, I think this would not have been quite so lopsided. Like if you just saw the score, you would have thought, oh, the Cowboys played fantastic, kind of. And the Giants are just so bad that it's not a fair test. Now, the, the narrative was, oh, the Cowboys are in a slump. And they asked Zeke, ironically, do you think you guys are out of this slump? And I'm like, the guy had 50 yards. Like he didn't even contri- right. he didn't even contribute. So how can you ask him? And I just I don't know, like the Cowboys feel like they're missing something like they it's it's weird. They're like good enough and they're continuing to win. They're going to win the division most likely, but they just feel like if you have to play them, they don't scare you right now, except for how great the defense is playing. But the defense is playing at like an elite level. And if they come down ever so slightly, the offense doesn't seem to be able to pick up the slack. Yeah. Is this defense going to be elite against Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams? I mean, that's that's the question. That's what I mean. And they're playing. I hate to say they're playing scrub teams, but they get Arizona here pretty soon, I think. So they're going to get yeah, somewhat of a test. Week 17. Week 17. Yeah. And depending on how things are with the NFC p- playoff picture, they're going to get a pretty decent test against a team that can put up some points. So, or well, we, we think that they can if they have all their pieces in play. But I don't know. The Cowboys are just really strange. But speaking of the Giants, but as, again, I was listening back to some episodes, and I think you'll find this hilarious. Fitzy got hurt. Taylor Heineke came in. You called him uh, Tyler Heineke, by the way. So that's a fine for you. Um, and <laughs> you asked Cleve about Taylor Heineke, and he said, I think he's better than Danny Dimes. And I, for some reason, busted out laughing because I'm like, I actually have no idea who's better. Oh, that's that's a great question. Uh I think I think that it, I would hear arguments either way, but one was the sixth overall pick, and the other is Taylor Heineke. So that's the difference. Yeah, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler Heineke. Yeah. What, Taylor, Tyler, whoever, whatever. It it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. He's like a big MAGA guy, right? Uh, well, I think so. He's uh, he's not very outspoken on Twitter uh, as far as his opinions are concerned. So I think he just sort of stays quiet. But I think he's like one of those closet MAGA guys. Okay. Uh, well, I'll tell you who. I'll tell you who Taylor Heineke and uh, Danny Dimes are both better than. And that's Mike Glennon. Oh, yeah. 13 of 24 for 99 yards. 13 of 24 for 99 yards. No touchdowns, three picks. He is very clearly, in my mind, just getting a paycheck. Like, he didn't think he was going to play this season. He's being tossed out there. And he just, it's, it's, it's so straight. He's such a strange looking dude out on the field. Like I know it's, and I don't mean to harp in on that, but like, he just doesn't look like a football player. Well, he looks like a bad one out here throwing, throwing three picks in, uh, in no touchdown. So Jake Fromm got in this game and threw passes. I didn't even write down what he did because who cares? But, uh, he got in here and threw some passes. Last paid a bit of news on this game. Stealing Shepard ruptured his Achilles yeah. in this game. So that is awful for him in a contract in a in a contract year as well. So I feel really bad for him. I've been watching him since he was in high school because he played high school football with Barry Sanders Jr. Wow. So, look at that. So I was watching. So of course I'm watching for Barry Sanders Jr. And here's I'm like, who is this wide receiver? Like, who is this guy that's like they can't guard him? Like, why are they now just talking about Barry Jr.? This guy's amazing. That was Sterling Shepard. Didn't Sterling Shepard's dad play in the NFL as well? Or is that another guy that was on the Giants whose dad played? I can't remember. There was there was also another wide receiver who was around the same time Sterling Shepard got drafted, and I can't remember. Maybe it's a, a different guy. I don't, I don't, I don't know. If uh, any Giants fans still listen to the show, feel free to go to whatever our Instagram is. Matt will tell you, yeah, and does, uh, let us does, know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the next game here, we've got the Bengals fifteen at the Broncos ten. Now I've been saying this entire episode all these things I got right on post game last week. 
I was sure wrong about this one. I said this was going to be a fun game. I mean, this game was miserable. I don't think there's a touchdown on this game, but like late in the third quarter, it was all field goals. Do you know Jamar Chase's stat line offhand? He only had like two catches, I think. It was really low. One catch for three yards. Yeah, I was going to say, he barely played, it seemed. Uh, Tyler Boyd had the big the big share, but he only had that one long touchdown, and that was like the yep. most exciting thing in the game. This is a horrible, yeah. horrible game. It's like no, neither team wanted to win. Yeah, this game, this game was like the best example ever why you just need to fire uh Vic Fangio I mean Jamar Chase gets one catch for three yards the Bengals score 15 points and you're at home if you just showed me this stat line and that point total for the Bengals I would literally say that they lost on the road to any team except Jacksonville Vic fucking Fangio that's all that I got for you because that's all I think about when I see him man Bengals were lucky to get a win here they stay alive and uh Man, more than alive, they're winning the AF, they're winning the AFC North right now. You've made a lot of predictions this year. I've gone back and listened to some of them, so we're going to keep a little bit of an inventory. So, so watch yourself there, Dave. You've made a couple no, no, of no, I mean, no, no. That's a factual statement. They are currently in the lead oh, in the no, AFC North. Well, they're currently leading. I thought you said they're going to win. That's why I was like, whoa, whoa. I care about you, Dave. Oh no, 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 no. The the Ravens are going to win the AFC North. Okay, I was like, be careful, Dave. We still got yeah, some yeah. football to play. <laughs> No, no, no. I just meant that uh, uh, that right now they are currently in the lead of the of the AFC North. And uh, Teddy Two Gloves took a bad hit in this game, had yeah. to get carted off the field. Apparently, he's as okay as you can be in the situation. This is a concussion, right? Like it is a concussion. Now they gave him the Mason Rudolph treatment by taking his face mask off, but they didn't show it and have him walk up the field with just his helmet on to embarrass the poor guy. <laughs> uh, it did look pretty bad in the moment. And thankfully, they. one of the things I like about the way that broadcasts work in the internet is now you get the news really, really quickly that the guy's okay. And you hear yeah. like, hey, he's moving. And it's like, oh, good. Back in the day, you didn't have that. And you had to wait until all this stuff happened. And so it was good to know that he was okay. Because, I mean, we call him Teddy Two Gloves and we take some fun, poke some fun at him. But we, we don't wish him any harm, obviously. That was, you never want to see that on the football field. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was too bad to see. So hopefully he comes back uh, next year as somebody's backup. Okay, the next game here, uh, again, going back to our pharmacy crew of listeners out in Vegas, we got the Falcons 13 at the 49ers 31, and Enbo is a huge, huge 49ers fan. So, again, we've been bashing the Jaguars for Rohit all year, and now I've been talking all this shit about the 49ers, and they have no ceiling and all this. But we did say they were going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, and that could very well still be the case. This team is designed to crush bad teams, and they might get a bad team or two in the playoffs in the NFC. Yeah, they might. I mean, George Kittle is playing terrific. I mean, and he didn't have the kind of week that he had had before. I think I saw the stat line today that he has like 425 yards receiving in like mm-hmm. his last three games. That's, That's correct. Fantastic. Just unbelievable. So he was six for 93 in this game. Yeah. And if Atlanta could have done anything at all to make this a game, he could have gone 15 for 200. Yeah. That's why that they, Bengals they game was so awesome him. because it went into overtime and it was close. So they just kept feeding him the ball, feeding the ball. But hey, Jeff Wilson Jr. had a fantastic game and Shanahan can literally take a guy that he saw at Subway ordering a sandwich, throw him into the lineup and that guy can get 100 yards. 21 carries, 110 yards, and a touchdown for Jeff Jeff Wilson Jr. And we also do have to give credit to Jimmy G in this game. Yes. 18 of 23, 235 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. And so, like I said, this team is designed to absolutely curb stop bad teams. And they scored over 23 points, by the way. 30 burger. They 
They did. They did. It was actually uh, kind of kind of shocking. Of course, they had to do it at home against Atlanta, Whatever. and I'd like to see them do it against the against the real team. But they beat bad teams, and the rest of the season they're at Tennessee, which is currently happening. They're up ten nothing at the two minute one in the first half. Uh, home to Houston. And they're at the Rams. So if they hang on to beat the Titans here, and we presume they're going to beat Houston because they're designed to beat bad teams, it might. Have, I don't think it's going to matter what happens against the Rams. I think they're going to be. They could. They're be going to be in anyways. It's about seeding. By the way, next week, if I make the the championship in my fantasy leagues, I have George Kittle on both of my teams, and they're playing the Texans. Hello. Yes, but you might have the same problem to where the Texans can't do anything, and so he only gets five for you know five for fifty because. And Jeff Wilson or Elijah Mitchell runs for 200 yards. I'm a, you know, I'm I'm gonna bank on the fact that they're gonna throw him. He's gonna have like 150 in the first quarter, and they're gonna sit him. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> it's gonna be totally. I fine. love it. Uh, do you want to make a uh, mention here uh, on air about who you need to defeat in the semifinals to make the championship round? So what I should tell you is the ridiculous set of circumstances that needed to happen for all of this to take place. So I'm in a, an eight-league team. We do it for fun, and it has a bunch of our friends across the country that either we've worked with or we're friends with or whatever. And w- the way we have done it is we have divisions because I like things that are breaking the norms here in fantasy football because most people have just like a giant division. And so I like doing uh, like doing in two divisions. So I was in second place in my division behind the undefeated team. It was a 14-0 team. My wife was in second place in the other division. And what she needed to have happen, I was playing the first place team and I needed to beat them. That happened. She needed to beat the undefeated team. That happened. And then she needed to outscore the guy that I beat by more than 28 points. And that happened. So my wife went (laughs) from the four seed to winning her division and she's the two seed and her her prize is 12 and 3 me so that was her prize was getting me who would have had if not for an undefeated team in the same division i would have been the number two seed because i had clearly the best record and outscored everybody else so it was unbelievable and the i would like to give you the percentages to win she percentages to make the playoffs she was at like less than 10 percent and just kept like creeping up creeping up creeping up and beating these teams and then she's like i can't beat this team and she ended up eking out the win we were watching the tuesday night game and she's like, I just need the, the Redskins or excuse me, the Washington football team to like not do anything because she had McLaurin was against her and like they had the football yeah. they're losing. And she's like, oh, my God, please, please, please. And then uh, Eagles ended up getting the ball back, I think, on downs and they're kneeling it down. And she was like in front of the TV, like kneeling, like, fist pumping because she had won the division. And she I was like, this is hysterical. And she's like, now I get to play you in four years or five years of fantasy football. I think I'm something like nine and one against her. So. She's due. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to like cause any problems here with the show, but I'm definitely rooting for her. No, if she wins, I'm good because I've won two out of three fantasy championships in this particular league. She she deserves one. Yeah, at my big college football league, I won three in a row, canceled season for COVID, where I had Jamar Chase, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence, and uh, so canceled that season, come back this year, my father-in-law took it, took it down this year. So not that I was salty at all about losing my not getting not getting my four peat there and then losing to my father-in-law if you want to hear the best thing i've ever done this is when i was i think 11 or 12 i think it was 1995 and uh, i was in the ncaa tournament pool that my dad was doing at his work so i was let's see 12 and he's like yeah you can do it for fun because they did a pool i won the whole thing at his work right and i picked an entire region correct like an entire quadrant of the ncaa tournament correct Mm -hmm. and i was never allowed to be in it again 
oh, that's rough. It was so funny, though, because he's like, yeah, you can go ahead and do it. What do you know? And I ended up picking everything, the whole thing. And he was just like, man, I think I won like 200 bucks. And as, as a 12 year old, I was like, all right, this is great. Yeah, no, you're you're rolling it at uh at, at that point. Yeah, man, I love those March Madness pools and stuff like that. I don't do them anymore because I can't get them you know, big enough to to matter, really. But they're 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 a ton of fun. We, we might need to do a uh, uh, March Madness oh, we could. football friends yeah. and family pool i think something like that a maddie s media pool i mean we got enough people now we can do it that's true all right uh yeah we'll figure something out uh produce the show on the show that's right the next game here we have the packers 31 at the ravens 30 and this is my final pharmacist shout out here out in vegas this be this would be shola who is a giant ravens fan and like i said they are my afc team since they're so so close to where i live now and so uh he and i were both very upset at this one not only did they lose they lose to the packers and before we get into the fourth down decisions in the game, I do want to uh, shout out Tyler Huntley, 28 of 40 for 215 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 13 carries, 73 yards, and two touchdowns. This would be, I mean, Cleve's not here to say it, but uh, he's helping himself. He definitely helped himself, and I almost jokingly texted you guys, bench Lamar for the rest of the season. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, would you trade the number one overall pick to the Ravens for Tyler Huntley and their number one pick? I mean, at this point, the Jacksonville Jaguars should do anything that they feel is necessary to be better than what they are right now. Because then they could bring in two quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and one of them, one of Trevor Lawrence or Tyler Huntley is going to be very good. I mean, just playing the odds based on what we've seen, and like Lawrence is a prospect and Huntley on the field, one of the two of them is going to be good. So you can set up like an RG3 Kirk Cousins thing where you can't maybe you can't lose i mean it would be out there it would be it would be kind of outlandish but just as like a way to try to think outside the box to try to you know manipulate something because then you could trade the other one right mm-hmm. you could trade whichever one's not quite as good yeah and recoup some more capital for that what's amazing to me is this speaks to what you talked about after our draft show about the ravens being such good drafters and such mm-hmm. great coaching because they have two quarterbacks on their roster that have basically the same exact skill set so when they lose a generational talent like Demar, they put in Tyler Huntley, who comes in and has been not just competent but good. And they haven't translated to wins. But man, I mean, this team feels like they could be dangerous no matter what because of the fact that they have a, they have two quarterbacks that can both do basically the same thing. That's a genius coaching strategy. Now you had to find a guy who had that same exact skill set. But what's what I'm talking about here is instead of going from him to like some random drop back passer guy you don't have to change the entire offense they can basically do the same exact thing and they get basically the same kind of production out of the guy it was just it's fantastic are you saying that they should not cut tyler huntley and bring a mike glennon yes that's exactly what i'm saying <laughs> like when when you don't have to go i mean remember when they first got lamar they had trouble figuring out how to use him, so they completely retooled that mm-hmm. off season and they completely mm-hmm. changed everything all the weapons that they had everything and they figured it out. Lamar won the MVP that year, didn't he? Or was it the year after? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Right. It's that year. It's the second year. And so what have they done? All right. So we have this. We can't replicate this with basically anybody. So let's draft a guy who we can basically replicate this with. And whatever we get, we get out of him. And they have such a great situation now that Lamar is out. They can bench him just to make sure he's okay. And they bring in this guy who almost beats what is clearly right now the most consistent team in the NFL. Yeah, I just think... Uh- uh, absolutely fantastic. And again, the Ravens being super sharp, they were the only team that gave him a draftable grade, which is why he was not invited to the combine. He was first team all pack 12 ahead of Justin Herbert. Yeah. 
Now, why did nobody else think this? This he was he was like Mister Football in Florida. Like, why did nobody think that this kid could be drafted or played besides the Ravens? Dave, he's black. There's no way that he could be any good. Come on now. There's there's at least like seven teams in the league where that's not even a, a problem anymore. I know that, like, but make him a wide receiver. Just do with the Mar thing, right? Because right. it's it's not even like teams are like we would draft him. It's just a draftable grade. That means that Belichick didn't give him a draftable grade. It means that Andy Reid didn't give him a draftable grade. It means Kyle Shanahan, who got Trey Lance a couple years later, didn't give him a draftable grade. Like. It wasn't like, oh, we're looking to take this guy. It's like we would not even give him a draftable grade except for the Ravens. That says a lot about a lot of these scouting departments. And I think there's a big edge to be had if some team can like try to be more like the Ravens in this in this regard. Because that is absurd that this guy is like in the mad and creative draft class pool is like a 47. So how often do teams give players and prospects draftable grades like that? So they turn them in to somebody at the league who decides who to invite to the combine. So the reason he wasn't invited to the combine is that only one team considered him draftable. Okay. So this is something that is pretty common that players get this if they're going to be invited to the combine. And how much of it has to do with the fact that these teams or these coaches weren't interested in drafting the player, so they didn't even bother putting it in? I don't think that's the case because any – like position doesn't even matter once you get into like day three like the fifth sixth and seventh round yeah like you're just trying to hit on players and the thing is if you think you draft a good quarterback in the sixth round develop for a couple of years you can train him for a second round pick yeah you know and then you can have another second round pick so if they thought he was good they'd give him a, a draft grade and nobody did except for the ravens which is goes to show how sharp uh the ravens are one last thing here before i get into the fourth down decisions mark andrews 10 catches for 136 yards and two touchdowns he is trying to make a case and not forget about him with all this George Kittle talk. Uh, he's also on Mrs. Ice's fantasy team. So we are we are killing it in the tight end department as a family. Yeah, well, he gets the Bengals this week. Yeah. So I actually, I like I like the Mark Andrews side of that just because I think they're going to have to use him. Yeah. They're going to have to use him a lot more. So we have these fourth down decisions. And also say decisions and not decision because everybody's focusing on the second one. So my first question to you is they score a touchdown to make it 31 to 30, 42 seconds left. The Ravens decided to go to two, go for two to try to win the game. What did you think of the decision? And separately, what did you think of the play call? So I didn't see the play, but I like the decision. So what was mm-hmm. the play call? Because I didn't get to see that game live. So he sprinted. They called like a quick sprint out to the right with Mark Andrews sprinting from the end of the line towards the, the the near pylon. So it was like a quick hitter, but only one option. Didn't really give Huntley a chance to either use the entire field or to use his feet on the play. It was like, this is the one thing you have to try to do. And he tried to throw it in and, you know, Andrews was covered and it just wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, in my opinion, the best play call to do in that situation. I mean, it sounds like a worse scenario than the goal line fade, which is something we haven't talked about this year, by the way. Well, Anthony Lynn's not a head coach. And you know how I feel about the goal line fade. So I like the decision because, as you know, I like ballsy decisions like this. So I'm I'm totally okay with the decision. However, I do want the play call to be a little bit better than it was. And it sounds like the play call didn't really give the team the best advantage to convert. So if you're going to be this ballsy and give your team this kind of trust, I think you need to have a better play call. I think that it's fair to say that the decision was fine and criticize the play call. And then, of course, there's the execution of it. But it sounds like from the play call perspective, 
it was almost not going to be a, a likely outcome for them based off of the play that they they called in. Yeah, you don't. I mean, you just cut off half the field. So like Marquise Brown was lined up to the opposite side. He's irrelevant in the entire play. And then Huntley doesn't have a chance to like, make, even make a decision really to use his feet to try to run it in. So that's what I was going to say. A lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people are conflating the decision to go for two with the play call saying it was a bad decision. The decision to go for two there was correct. However, however, it was the result of a bad decision. And it was at the touchdown before when you're down by 14 and you think you might only get one or two more possessions in the game and you score in this case, the Ravens score to make the score 31 to 23. The Ravens need to go for two the first time, go for two the first time. The reason for that, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one should be pretty clear. If you don't make it, you can always go for it again to tie the game to send it to overtime. Not ideal, but it's something you can do. But if you make it, now you can kick the extra point to win the game and you know it at the end right so you know now that you can control the outcome of the game if you score another touchdown at at the end of the game so you either know like you learn early okay i can either I, i will either need to score and go for two again for the tie or i'm now in complete control of this game if i score i kick the extra point in the game the game is over harbaugh john harbaugh most people hear me say harbaugh they're the gym john harbaugh usually does this right i don't know why he didn't do it this time but it is a glaring mistake Mm -hmm. that i am shocked that he made like mike tomlin i'd be shocked if he ever did it right but for john harbaugh i was just totally shocked but the thing is most people like on espn or whatever aren't even talking about the first decision right they're they're only talking about the second one but the second one is a result of the first one they went for two the second time because they had no choice they had no choice because they didn't give themselves the choice but going for two after the first touchdown. Well, people are always going to hone in on the one right at the end because they feel as if that's the only thing. And I've talked about this with refereeing and calls that have been made, that there's a lot of calls that happen in the entirety of the game that can actually have an outcome later on, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're driving and you get a holding call that totally stunts your drive, you don't get any points. Even if you get a bad call late in the game, there's a couple of calls that could have gone your way. But it's funny because last week... You talked about this and you broke it down because John Harbaugh did the right thing last week and went for two. And I think it was with yeah. a Ravens game. And so it's interesting that you went on this huge rant. And then this week, he clearly listens to the show and did the exact opposite for you. Yeah. And so last week they were down 15 and he scored and went for two. And you're like, oh, it's too early. It's too early. It's too early. It wasn't too early. And you're down 15. And you have like two or three possessions left. You got to go for two. If you're down by 14, you have one or two possessions left. You got to go for two. If you have three possessions left down 14, three real possessions, you can make an argument for just kicking both times. If you score, score, and then try to win the game on the third possession. But given the point in the game and how the game had been going, like you need to go for two the very first time. But what your larger point was last week is to have the information. And so yes. it's to your point. If you go for it and miss, you have the information that I have to go for it again if we score. If you make it, then you have the information that, okay, all I need to do is get in the end zone and then hope our kicker doesn't mess it up. But, oh, wait, we have the all-time greatest kicker that's kicking for us, so we're probably in good shape. Right, exactly. So it it was – as it was happening, I was like – I wasn't really yelling at the TV because I was watching with the in-laws <laughs> in their living room. So I was trying not to completely melt down about it, but I was very frustrated watching it. And also who it was from. Like this wasn't some dunce. It's from John Harbaugh. So 
but my guess is that he's going to have his analytic nerds in his brain, you know, telling him what to do, and he won't he won't be doing that again. Probably. The next game here to me was the most shocking results. Uh, wait a second. Wait a second. We missed one. We missed one. Do you know which one we missed? No. Was it one that matters? Was it, the, it matters to was it matters it the, to me? Was it the football team? No. It it uh they're coming up next. It matters to me. The Raiders. No. Brent Browns. It really. It, no. It really matters to me. Oh, the Lions. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, skipped right, skipped right over the, uh, skipped right over two games actually. The one I called, um, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. So, wow, sorry everybody. Uh, so we're gonna bit out of order here. We're gonna go, we're gonna go back in time. You know what it is? I hand wrote out my notes this week, and I've been typing them so they're, they're clear and easy to see. I had to go back and handwrite them, and I'm gonna show the camera here. Look at that. Can you see how I like skipped? I skip the lines it. producing Ridiculous. the show within the show and, uh, and if anybody wants to know how many notes that i have i have zero all of this comes from my head <laughs> yeah i uh have to have to make the notes or i will forget to talk about teams and then look i forgot to talk about them anyways okay so anyways we're gonna go back and we're gonna cover these uh both these games pretty quickly cardinals 12 at the lions 30 um i guess I shout out the the act the actual last pharmacist from that group which would be my father <laughs> so he's a Lions fan. <laughs> uh, man, dad, I cannot believe you raised me to be a Lions fan. Anyways, so Kyler, 23 of 41, one touchdown, one pick, four carries for three yards. Ooh. Like, yeah, that's the that's the number that got me. Like, you know you're losing early in this game. Like, they were down. They were down bad quick. Use Kyler's legs to, like, try to get back into this game. I mean, only four attempts. It kind of felt like they were the, the Cardinals were playing so bad. It felt like they were waving the white flag. They played only the Bills versus the Jags was a worst performance by a good team against a bad team so far this year. They just knew that Man Campbell had a strategy that they just were not going to be able to beat. <laughs> I mean, Jared Goff throwing to God knows who, Amon Ross St. Brown. I think I saw a uh, oh, who's the other guy that's on the team, the other wide receiver that's been getting a lot of juice lately because they don't have anybody else. Leonard Josh Reynolds no is it I can't remember the guy's name but either way the Lions played awesome and what's funny about this is this loss could actually screw over the Cardinals for home field yes in fact I I think it all but guarantees it um it's not an absolute guarantee yet but the Packers are going to be hard to catch yeah because the Packers don't have a lot of really tough games left and neither do the Bucks so there's some teams that they're chasing that have a pretty easy sled at the end of the season yeah exactly uh so in this game jared goff 21 of 26 for 216 yards and three touchdowns jared goff man he's going to the hall of fame telling you he's figuring it out yep finally uh finally getting uh getting a feel for the game and then we had a lions running back 26 carries for 112 yards for one american dollar what is the name of this running back oh i just saw the guy on the fantasy waiver wire and stayed clear of him i i don't know his name is craig reynolds oh that works okay sure Craig Reynolds is so obscure. I don't know where he went to college. Excellent. Okay. I bet your dad knows. Oh, oh, I call. I call. Okay. I, no, I, I, I bet think he doesn't. So? All right. I, I don't know what I kind of... I don't think he does. By the way, your dad, uh, follower of the Instagram feed, by the way, and also um, going out for grandfather of the year, according to uh, his, <laughs> his, his uh, current uh, pictures that he's been posting. So good, good for him. Yeah. My nephew might have gotten an Oculus and a... Uh, tennis bag for for christmas so uh, yeah, i mean he's getting way better yeah. gifts than my kids getting this christmas i'll tell you that right now <laughs> well you know what it's been a, it's been a good year for crypto so the uh other thing about this game is that the lions now fall to pick number two there was uh, reports 
according to my friend Paul, who was telling me about this, that the Lions were going to take Kayvon Thibodeau, even if they had the number one overall pick. If the Lions have the number one overall pick and they take a rush defensive end and it's not Aiden Hutchinson, their fan base might actually revolt. <laughs> You'll be back in front even of Ford Mich- Field again. Even Michigan State fans know how good Aiden Hutchinson is. So the Michigan fan base is like 60% of Lions fans would be so angry. Michigan State fans would be baffled because they see how clearly good Aiden Hutchinson is. That's like another, you know, 35% or whatever. And the remaining 5%, you know, probably just want a local kid anyways. So I am pretty confident that they will take Aiden Hutchinson if he's available, if they get the number one pick back. But I don't think they're going to get the number one pick back. I don't think they are either. But the team you're worried about is the Texans because they're going to basically try and replace J.J. Watt. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Jags, yeah, the Jags could go could go either way with it, whether they take Thibodeau or uh, Hutchinson. If this win, which the Lions were 13-point underdogs, the one by 18, so the line was only off by 31 points. If this win cost them Aiden Hutchinson, I'm going to be not happy. After like passing on Justin Fields and then not getting Aiden Hutchinson, I'm, I'm not going to be particularly pleased. Now, if the Jaguars trade out, is there any likelihood that a team would trade in to take Hutchinson or would they trade in to take a quarterback? I bet Houston would. Oh, that's a good point. You're right. Houston, Houston might jump Detroit to go to go get Hutch because they know if the Jags take Thibodeau, then, you know, the Lions will take Hutch. So what you need is the Texans to win at least a couple more games so they have to jump up more spots and give up more to jump up higher. That's what you really need. Or just for the Jags to win a game, and then that's true. Then it's up to the Lions. And if the Lions choose not to do it, I can't be that mad. I mean, I can only be mad at the Lions, not at the universe. At that point, the the Lions are picking the worst possible time to be peaking when the first overall pick is is at stake here. <laughs> right, exactly. The uh, and the same thing happened to the next game last year. I cannot believe we skipped over this game. The Jets twenty four, the Dolphins thirty one. It's because Cleve's not here. The first one I had here. Uh, the Jets lost uh, to Tua, so Cleve is a no-show. I mean, sure, he said he had to drive to New Jersey and spend time with his family. I'm not buying it. He didn't want to show up because he knew he'd have to deal with this Tua talk. And they've won, what, seven straight games now? Six straight games? Six straight games. But this was almost a banner weekend for Cleve. Like, it was. He almost he almost hit the trifecta. He did. I mean, he almost like hit that parlay where he was going to win like $17,000. And Tua threw a pick six to tie the game. And somewhere in the universe, Cleve was just absolutely over the moon. And the they, yep. Jets couldn't bring it home, which isn't surprising because they're not a finishing team. The only game that could have gone better for him was Buffalo. Like if Buffalo had lost to Carolina, Cleve would have just been walking around with no pants on. But I think basically everything flipped on him at this point. I mean, the Lions won, but he's kind of off the Lions train now because they are nowhere near seven wins. But could you imagine if they were on six and this was the one that they I know. ripped off? Or, or, like, or like if they were on four and that this was number five and like he's actually live for the bet or something like that? Because they could have four wins right now. If they were, if they finished like six, ten, and one, that would have been amazing. Like, it would yep. have been awesome. Cleve would have just been like, I can't even. And he would have had to blame the Steelers for that because the Steelers couldn't put him away or they couldn't put away the Steelers. And that was the game that you were standing on top of a bar or thought about it at Theismann's. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was for sure going to uh, I was for sure going to do that. So I don't have many notes on the the Jets Dolphin game in general. Yeah. It was Tua's worst game in a while, to be honest. Uh, Duke Johnson appears out of nowhere to go twenty two one oh two and two helped himself. 
yeah, just I, I actually was shocked that this dude was still on the street. I mean, the Ravens are out here with like Devontae Freeman, Latavius Murray, and Le'Veon Bell combined for like one half of one knee. Yeah. But Duke Johnson was just on the street. Like, how could you not bring a Duke Johnson ahead of Dusty Devontae Freeman? Guaranteed Duke Johnson was not the third overall pick, too, by the way. That's also true. Yes. Okay, so now we're getting back on timeline. Sorry about the listeners for uh, oh. screwing up that timeline. Quick there. question: If you oh, had, yeah, sure. if you had added Jared Goff to that list of quarterbacks that you asked Cleve about, do you think you would have taken Goff over the other th- of the other three? No, he'd still take Lawrence. All right, I was just curious because I was like, I mean, Goff is playing a lot better. He's playing better than Zach Wilson has. Yes, that's true. Now, if we had some Goff or Zach Wilson, that would be an interesting question. That'd be uh, yeah. But we should try to pose a question where we have a legitimate choice, like without the obvious choice, and we throw a guy like Goff in there and see what he says. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he's taking Goff. I think that uh, now he might he might take Aaron Rodgers if he threw Aaron Rodgers to a bunch of young people. Um, by the way, for the Lions starting next season, I'd rather have Zach Wilson than Aaron Rodgers. All right, just because you want the younger person. Yes, like the extremely younger person. <laughs> yes. Okay. Getting getting back on timeline track here. Saints nine at the Bucks zero. The best thing from this game, well, two things: the Bucks lost to a fullback, and Brady threw a tablet. That's basically everything that I took from this game, except Chris Godwin being out for the season. Uh, did anybody catch the tablet? Because P- Brady was not very accurate in this game. No, he threw it. It I was. It was really funny. Like he didn't throw it in a way that was like angry. It's like he got handed the tablet and he just like, you know how what you're supposed to do when you spill the salt, you're supposed to like toss it over your shoulder. Like he basically just took it and just like tossed it. Like I'm not even gonna look at it. Now Belichick did the same thing last year, I think in the Bills game where he just, he couldn't get it to work and he just kind of tossed it because it wasn't working. I didn't take much from this outside of the fact that, man, Brady looked old without any weapons, didn't he? He looked like his last year in New England. (laughs) He looked decrepit out there. And I think that's what pissed him off the most is that he looked vulnerable. Yeah, and he was getting hit a lot in this mm-hmm. game too. Uh yeah, it was this was a shocking game, a, a absolutely shocking game to watch. I feel all for Chris Godwin again just like Sterling Shepard. It's a yeah. it's a contract year. ACL better than an Achilles for sure, but you know, he stayed with the Bucks on a franchise tag to try to win another Super Bowl. And to go out, you know, this close to it, where they're obviously going to make the playoffs, is really a bummer because he could have bounced this year and gotten gotten paid. Yes, right away. He'll still get paid though. Like he's he's going to get his money as long as his he he heals okay. So I'm not too worried about that for him. But I do feel bad for him because I've always liked Chris Godwin, even when he was at Penn State. Yeah. The other uh, injury news in this game is that Leonard Fournette hurt his quad. I think he's out. And yeah. He's out. He's out for the rest of the season, regular yeah. season. Not for the rest. He of should the- be back. He'll do his thing like last year. He'll come in in the playoffs after almost getting cut, and then he'll have like his career basically in the playoffs when they come back. Quick question yeah. though, overall overarching question: Are the Bucks actually in trouble if they can't get some of these guys healthy for the playoffs? Because losing Godwin's a big one. Obviously, AB's coming back. Fournette had been playing great up until he got hurt. And now they're going with, I think, Ronald Jones. That's correct. That's not great. Um, and Brady, again, he looked like he did in his last year in New England, which wasn't awful, but he had no weapons. It's not a team that's going to win the Super Bowl. Are you feeling a little bit less bullish about the Bucks with all these developments now? Yes, I think that Chris Godwin is their most important single player outside of Tom Brady. He's obviously a great wide receiver. He's he can play inside or outside. And we don't talk about this a lot, but he is a phenomenal run blocker. 
Like he loves to hit dudes. And so what do you have Gronk, who's a great blocking tight end? And they got Chris Godwin, who is essentially Heinz Ward. You know, that makes it really easy on Leonard Fournette to actually get out there, do something. They have basically seven offensive linemen on the field at all times. So losing Godwin is actually a critical piece of them to lose. I actually think they'd be better off if they had lost Mike Evans. That is a great comparison. Heinz Ward, fantastic comparison. Didn't even think about that until you mentioned the run blocking. And then it's like, yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right, except one of them looks like Rufio from Hook, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Chris Godwin's not returning kicks in Gotham and the stadium explodes around him. Yes. So, uh, Saints, we sort of wrote them off because we thought they were going to lose this game. We predicted it would be a slaughter, to be exact. And the Saints are actually still, they're still live. They've got a 44% chance to make the playoffs with Miami, Carolina, and Atlanta at Atlanta to close out the season. Are they basically the Raiders? Yes. Okay. That's all I, I'm trying to make that comparison because we've we've said enough about the Raiders up until this point. So that gives the listeners a little bit of a, a baseline. However, Jameis Winston out for the season. Yes. Trevor Simeon out for the season. Yes. The fullback Taysom Hill has COVID and is out this week. Yes. Ian Book. Who was start? It's Ian Book season. So Ian Book was not that great at Notre Dame. Fair. <laughs> Ian Book is a far worse quarterback in college than Tyler Huntley. Okay. So I don't like their chances against Miami with Ian Book at quarterback. I'm starting the Dolphins defense uh, this week in fantasy because of that. Against Ian Book? That is going to be extremely sharp if the Dolphins get out to a lead early and force Book to have to try to throw downfield. If this game is close all game long and he can hand it to Kamara and dump it to Kamara, the defense might get a lot of opportunities for sacks and turnovers. Yeah. But if they're up like 17 to 3 at halftime, that second half could be a bonanza for the Miami defense fantasy wise. That's what I'm hoping for. Miami's Miami's hot. Are they the hottest team in the league right now? So they got seven straight wins or six straight wins. I think that is the longest winning streak. I'd actually probably still say the Patriots. Okay. You know, I don't think I'll I don't think a loss on a primetime game to the Colts on the road hyped up after the bye week. Like I don't think that really crushes what the Patriots have been doing over the second half of the season. So I might still say New England's the hottest team in the league. But Dolphins have a chance at the playoffs, don't they? Yes, but it's not high. In fact, I was gonna write it down and I don't think I did. Hang on one second. Maybe I did. The Dolphins have an eleven percent chance to make the playoffs. Wow, that's a lot lower than I would have thought. They must have. They must need a lot of things to go right for them. That's exactly right. So they need to win out, and they need like two losses each from like the Raiders, the Broncos, the Ravens, or the Bengals. Like they need, they need a lot of teams to clear to clear. By the way, the Browns are at fifteen percent by comparison. Yeah, and that's I'm surprised it's that high. Yeah, uh, the reason I know the Browns is because they're the next game here. We got the Raiders sixteen at the. Uh, the Browns 14. This is the first of a Monday night doubleheader. Thanks to COVID, this game mm-hmm. got moved. This game was absolutely terrible. Nick Mullins started for the Browns. He was not that bad. 20 of 30 for 147 yards and one touchdown. But it just, I still think the Browns actually should have won this game. And it was just a, a, just a terrible game all the way around. And now both teams are 7-7. Seven and seven. The Raiders have the same 11% chance the Dolphins do. And the Browns have a 15% chance. And it feels like neither of these teams should have any say over the Dolphins. No, and the Browns had a chance to take the lead in their division. They went from could have been in first place in their division to 12th. Yeah. And that's that's insane. And let me ask you a question. Is the AFC playoff picture so clouded and crowded that it's 
misinterpreting how many actual teams there are that are going to make a difference. You know, talking about where a lot of people say like, well, the Raiders are still in it. And we're like, nah, I don't think it does because I think the Chargers and the Bills are like the big wildcard teams could win the Super Bowl and they could certainly go to the Super Bowl. And I think if the Ravens end up finishing second in the AFC North and are also wild card, I also think they could go to the Super Bowl. So you might have a situation where all three wild card teams are capable of going to the Super Bowl. No, that would mean that the Colts didn't make it. The Titans would win the division. They're getting Derrick Henry back. AJ Brown is up right now in the third quarter, seven catches, 55 yards. So he's back. So if their Titans are back to being their Titan selves, they can certainly win four straight games with okay. that compilation so and then the patriots are good enough the chiefs are good enough and who am i missing it doesn't matter the point is they're all good enough to win the super bowl so i think that we might actually end up with a situation where a team that can reasonably win the super bowl and like win half the divisions the nfc won't even make it okay i mean it's a good it's a good it's a good conference yeah it is does that does that make you sad as a patriots fan that like it's going to be really difficult no i mean the Patriots went seven and nine last year, the year after Brady left. Draft a rookie quarterback, and they're nine and five, and technically were the number one seed for like two straight weeks. I mean, I'm I'm fine. So you're 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 basically playing with house money at this point. Yeah, I mean, and again, and I've said this so many friggin' times that like the fan base up there that is not just happy to be where we're at just doesn't understand anything about what's going on. Like six Super Bowls, and then last year they want to fire Belichick which is just so stupid. And then this year they they get Mac and it was a rough start. Like 2 and 4 was a rough start. And they looked mm-hmm. like okay, maybe this team is going to have a little bit of growing pains. And they rip off 7 straight. Everything at this point now is like gravy. As long as they beat the Jags and get to 10 wins, that's what I thought they were going to do. And th- and that would make my prediction right. They don't have to win the Super Bowl for me to be happy. Well, I would certainly hope not after they've won 37 in your lifetime, something like that. But yeah, it's not Super Bowl or bust for me. If they go 10 and 7 and they win a home playoff game, that's a fantastic year with a rookie quarterback. No, agreed. Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Live. So the tight Titans, Titans, first and goal run with Jeremy McNichols, who I might have in my million dollar DraftKings lineup stoned at the one second down incomplete pass to A.J. Brown. I have Tannehill and A.J. Brown in the same lineup. Very nice. Third down, hand off to Dante Foreman, who I do not have for a touchdown. Who the hell is that? Dante. Exactly. Okay. So, man. Oh, jeez. Folks, if you guys aren't playing daily fantasy sports, you're really missing out on great sweat. Like, literally three plays, and I'm distracted from what I'm doing right now, just sweating sweating this game. It is it is a phenomenal time. You want to hear something funny? Uh, Foreman is on Mrs. Ice's team. Good. At least there's something good to come from this. Yes. Although, I hope she wins by 50. Although I also started uh, A.J. Brown because he was on the waiver wire because somebody dropped him because he was on IR. That's right. I picked up A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel because of this. So thank you to my the rest of my league. Okay. Uh, what's the buy-in and how do I get in? Uh, it's free, like I said. Uh, we, play for, <laughs> we, we play for the uh, Lego Infinity Gauntlet. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'll take it. I'll mint it as an NFT and try to sell it. Exactly. Uh, speaking of teams that have won the Super Bowl in our lifetimes, we've got the Washington football team 17 at the Eagles 27. But this just feel like week 15 went forever. Like we've been talking about this week forever and the games took forever over all these days. This is insane. Anyways, 
football team 17, Eagles 27. Garrett Gilbert started for the football team. They couldn't do anything on offense. He sucks awful. Jalen Hurts started slow, but finished 20 to 26 for 296 yards and a touchdown, and then eight carries for 38 yards and two touchdowns. Dallas Goddard, seven carries or seven catches for 135 yards, which did single-handedly eliminate me from a, a good a good spot. But like I by the time with the Tuesday, this is a Tuesday game. I think the Tuesday game started, even I was like can we not can we get a day yeah i actually so i have a hot take and this is a personal hot take here uh i am not a fan of monday night football because i'm actually done by the time sunday is over because i've watched thursday and i've binge watched red zone on sunday and i'm actually done so if i was done on monday definitely done on tuesday that is a hot take that i simply cannot get behind that's okay and the reason is that i can see where you're coming from being done on monday but without Monday Night Football, by like halfway through Wednesday, I would be distraught. But now it's halfway through Thursday, and oh, there's a game tonight. So yeah, this is what a lot of addicts say when they talk about going off the juice. So uh, I understand where you're coming from as well. But I don't know. There's just something that's not as exciting. Like I don't know what people feel about Monday Night Football, but to me, the production is not very good in ESPN. It's not exciting. It's just something that's always lacked for me. So I've just kind of skipped out on it. And even when the Patriots have played, I'm lucky to make it through the first half. It's just not my thing. So Tuesday night, definitely not. I would love a doubleheader every Monday night all season like they used to do on the first Monday night of the season. You know, get a get a uh, East Coast team a bit earlier of a start and then a West Coast team later, later start. I would love a doubleheader every Monday night. I think maybe that's where it comes down to for me is the start time. It's it's late. And like I get up really early to go to work. And staying up until 11 something, 12, it's just not palatable for me. And I think that's probably been part of it. But if they made it more exciting, then then perhaps. But it's just tough, I think, to go from red zone to watching a singular game. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, island games are brutal anyways in the NFL. There's too many commercials. Yes. Uh, the announcers, by and large, are morons. Uh, even Chris Collinsworth, who is pretty good, tilts me to no end. So... I do see why it's difficult watching Island games, especially if you don't have 150 lineups for each game like I do. But I do like having the... It also feels like a good end to the week. Yeah, but for me, the, the ESPN broadcast is one of my least favorites. And it doesn't matter who they put in the in the booth. It just doesn't seem to work. I really like the Sunday night cast. I know you don't, you're not a huge Collinsworth fan, but like their, their broadcast is very good. Like yes. it's a very polished pr- product. It feels big. The music behind it, everything, it kind of gets you gets you going. Like it's a really good cap to my weekend. And then by the time Monday night comes around, if the matchup is not lightning great, the broadcast isn't that great. Now, if if let's say that the broadcast team for Monday night was the Sunday night crew, I might actually watch it because I actually deeply care about the broadcast stuff, which is why I hate watching games on CBS because I'm not really a huge like Jim Nance guy. There's something very, I don't know, like, I mean, he's good at what he does. That's not what I'm saying. But I actually, uh, this is also a hot take. I actually like Joe Buck. I've always liked Joe Buck. And it's, I don't know why. I just like his presentation. I don't have a problem with his presentation and the way that the the game is broadcast. I actually like it. It means a lot to me. And I think that's obvious because I started all this shit. So uh, it means, you know, a lot here. But I don't know. It's just my own personal take. I sit out Monday Night Football, but I understand a lot of people like it. I'm not saying that it should be abandoned forever. My hot take is just I'm not into it. We're off on a tangent here, yes. but I don't want to talk about Garrett Gilbert. I cannot stand Joe Buck. 
Okay. Most people can. And I yes, but I think that the reason that I can't stand him might be a bit unfair. Okay. He sounds like an arrogant, pompous jackass. But I think that might just be like his broadcast of voice. It is. I don't think that that might actually reflect who he is. But suddenly know his broadcast voice. That's the impression I get of him. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to listen to this pompous, arrogant jackass. But like he he might like be like super cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just and also I don't like baseball. I, I hear a lot of his best work is in baseball. And I'm never yeah. going to hear it because I'm never going to watch it. So it might I'm willing to admit it's a bit unfair, but I just I, I can't stand him. So Joe Buck is very much different when he's broadcasting games. This is basically the post game at this point because uh, yeah. it's just the two of us. So this is actually not really a tangent. And um, I I feel like Joe Buck's best work is in baseball. It's where he started. His dad was obviously a huge broadcaster, Jack mm-hmm. Buck, back in mm-hmm. the day. So there's a lineage there. And I think one of the things about him is he has gotten better because I think he's gotten less like his worst moment was when he got offended by the Randy Moss mooning at Lambeau Field. Like, yeah, such a stupid overreaction. And he's even said that he's like, yeah, I listened back to it. And you know what? Um, I, that's probably not the best reaction I've ever had. I've actually seen and heard a lot of Joe Buck off of the broadcast stuff when they've gotten deep into him, some interviews and stuff like that. And he's actually very entertaining and very funny to the point where he told a story about this is after his divorce. He had had all these problems. He was down in Cabo, you know, trying to like basically get right and say like, all right, everything's going to shit. So I'm going to go down to Cabo. And he had a pop brownie for the first time and he never had one before. And he told the story. <laughs> he told the story about like hallucinating and it was crazy. And then just, I mean, the story was ridiculous. And he was like, and I, I'm thinking to myself, like if TMZ's here, it's going to be all over the internet. Like, oh my God. And so he has a humanity to him that I don't think a lot of people understand because yeah, the broadcasty guy does have that, that voice that you're talking about, but I think it's the broadcasty stuff. And of course he's with Troy Aikman and I, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, whatever on Troy Aikman, it's fine. Um, but I care a lot about the broadcast and these days there's not many guys who captivate my attention the way that they're used to be. And that's why I like watching Al Michaels because he's got to be retiring soon. And he's very good at what he does. Like, he is a broadcaster. I actually used to love Brent Musburger, too, for that same exact reason. Now, Brent is ridiculous now. But uh, I used to like him because I like he brought a big game feel. Like, when you heard his voice. Oh, you are looking live. I loved that. And... Except when at my mother-in-law's office, well, I broadcast political yeah, football. Well, as he when he said that once, he was like, "You are looking live at Morgantown, West Virginia," and I was like, "I threw up in my mouth a little bit." And uh, but I loved that. But you don't see a lot of that. I mean, I'm actually very intrigued to watch the documentary on John Madden that's coming out on Christmas. Mm-hmm. I think because John Madden, like the kids today, would not like John Madden, but I grew up loving john madden and like his broadcasty style because it's the precursor to tony romo why everybody likes tony romo is because tony romo feels like it's watching football with your buddy outside of the prediction mm-hmm. stuff which i i'm glad he's kind of like tapering back but john madden was so genuine and he was also super knowledgeable too like the guy won a super bowl he knew a lot about football and yet he was silly and it was him i liked that part of it Whereas the kids today would be like, whatever, he's so cheesy. I, I don't know. That's a that's a generational thing. But we don't have a lot of guys that are like that anymore. Like all the guys that are on CBS, like, I don't know who half those fucking guys are. Like whoever calls these games the, the, the C squad on CBS, like whatever. It is what it is. But we don't have a lot of the great ones. And like the ESPN crew, I feel like they're constantly still trying to find 
whatever it is they're looking for in the Monday night booth. And that era is long gone. Like they're not going to find the next Al Michaels or the next, you know, whoever. It's just never going to happen. Yeah, no, the, the the Manning cast is the is the, is a much better attempt at doing that. It's like doing something completely different, yes. not just the broadcast. Now, I think the Manning cast is mostly unwatchable. It does have some funny moments, but I'll just watch clips on Twitter later. But it's going to have to be something like that. There could be something coming, you know, the VR metaverse stuff yeah. where, you know, we get to call the games ourselves for our friends, something like that. We're all in the stadium together. We all get to have the same view of the referee. Like there could be some really interesting stuff coming with technology coming up that could get the kids involved. Yes. But honestly, I don't think anybody under 30 gives a shit who's calling the game, what their background is. No, they probably don't even listen to be honest. Oh, you're probably right about uh, that. And I, yeah. I fully cop to the fact that it, this is, this is my own like generational thing. Like I'm at the last tail end of people who actually care about that stuff. Like, I love yes. the Vern Lundquist voice, you know, calling SEC games, stuff like that. That matters mm-hmm. to me. The voices of who is voicing my sports matters. Most people nowadays don't care because they can go on Twitter and get all the clips that they want and they watch it in snippets. But like, so I'm a wrestling guy, been a wrestling guy for years. And Jim Ross, but even before then, like Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, like those guys, those voices that are voicing the sport, it's a little bit different because they're helping to tell the story. But my point being is that like, it mattered. And so it mattered to my sports too. And it just doesn't matter the same way that it used to anymore. Like these guys that are getting paid out there, I mean, nobody cares. That's why they're putting all these players out there because they know that people will, or some of the younger people will might gravitate toward players that they know. But like Greg Olson stinks. He's terrible. He's absolutely awful at it. Which is too bad because he's actually got just all the personality in the he world. Does. He does. Just, he's just oozing personality. But yeah, he's not, he's not good in the booth. I actually, I'm actually now with the younger people. I don't really care who's in there. I like Romo, and that's about it. But I don't really care uh, any anymore. I just, I think that eventually they're going to have to do something where, like, they open it up to Twitch streamers, yeah, and just allowing people to watch whatever Twitch streamer that's calling the game in real time that people like, and then finding some way to make, you know, mm-hmm. to make to make that work because. Well, I mean, obviously, we have a vested interest in that because this would be amazing. Well, yeah, I don't want to ever focus on one single game. It have to be island games. I'm too busy during red zone. But like, you know, something along those lines where they can allow other people to come in and start doing it and allow people to choose whoever they like, or else, you know, there's no nobody cares who's in the booth anymore. Nobody under thirty, and most people under fifty probably don't. It's it's a weird landscape, and we're we're off way off here. But I actually like this stuff. the The landscape of content creation now is so different so who scored sorry nobody fourth and six from the titans 44 yard line the 49ers decided to go for it which is which is true jimmy g throws a crossing route to brandon Ayuk, two yards short of the sticks and three yards too far in front of him so he has to like try to make a diving catch he misses it if he would have caught it he would have just fallen and gotten touched two yards short of the first down anyways earlier that set up the touch and i was tilting he threw a bad interception anyhow like you know ron paul gif it's happening like it very well be happening right now that we're seeing the downside to what could happen if you leave jimmy g in this game and oh we should have gone to trey lance earlier because we might have only won six games but if we're gonna win the super bowl and if we're gonna do it with jimmy g like this could be happening right now sorry Enbo. yeah i mean he's got two picks no touchdowns in a game that they should be winning by more because they've been playing better 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways, I don't know how we're going to get back to the uh, last week's game. Should I just awkwardly force our, our way back there? Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, the Eagles won. They can make the playoffs. Hang on. I don't have their, their percentage exactly in front of me. I'll find it here. I know that they that the football team is basically dead at this point. Yeah, the football team's down to 9%. So they're, they're pretty much dead. Mm-hmm. However, the Eagles are at 37% with the Giants the football team again, and then the Cowboys. If we give them a win against the Giants and a win against the football team, I was going to say they can go two and one. Well, it's a very it very much depends on who I know, but I it's mean, against the ones you you gave. I think are fair. Yeah. So while five thirty is computing this here, after just beating the Giants, they're up to forty five percent. Oh, okay. This is interesting. If they beat the Giants. Beat Washington, lose to Dallas. They're up to seventy-two percent, which is about where the Bills are right now. Okay. We would kind of, we are all just sort of presuming the Bills are going to be in. Yeah, but two and one down the stretch puts the Eagles in that same, that same position. And I uh, really, really like their chances there. I mean, it's very possible, and they could sneak a win against Dallas if Dallas has already wrapped up the division, and it doesn't matter. Like they can't get home field because there's no second yeah. bye to vie for anymore. So. At this point, you know, they might, especially if, if Dak is kind of ailing a little bit and Zeke is still ailing a little bit, they might rest their starters. Well, well I was thinking that they're going to rest their starters. So you'll see players like Cooper Rush, mm-hmm. Cedric Wilson, Noah Brown, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, all the backups. That's right. Coming into play for the Cowboys. Backup fullback. <laughs> the uh, the last game that we do have to talk about here, the Seahawks 10 at the Rams 20. This was the, it was the two Tuesday night games were going at the same time. This is the one I actually got to watch in Michigan. I'm glad it was here and not watching the football team. Garrett Gilbert. Uh, the Seahawks played terrible in this game. Like they did not show up for it at all, which is really too bad given that they needed a win out to even have a chance to, to make the playoffs. It's a big divisional game. And I think they just kind of all know yeah. that, you know, the party's over for them. And uh, Pete Carroll to the Jags. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't think that Pete Carroll's going to do anything but retire if he steps down right i mean he's 70 something years old isn't he yeah he's the second oldest behind belichick yeah and i mean i guess he's got some juice left in him but i i just don't know if he has the the, the magic anymore like there's no success there's no relative success that would dictate that whereas at least belichick won a super bowl like three years ago he should go be defensive coordinator for dan sanders at jackson state there, there you go just they got the number one recruit coming to play corner, you know, could be yeah. fun. And then followed that up with an extremely disappointing loss in the, the title game. I actually watched that game and was just disappointed. I was hoping that they'd play a little bit better, but it happens. Yeah, it it uh it does. The idea of Pete Carroll and HBCU is hilarious. Yes. Although less hilarious than Brian Kelly. Yeah. Uh, Brian Kelly is more terrifying. Yeah. From a certain point of view at at HBCU, like worst case scenario, there's a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> coming as he tries as he tries to match his speech to fit in with his with his surroundings and his family yeah also uh great players who weren't going to hbcus we got cooper cup nine catches for 136 yards and two touchdowns continuing what i think is one of the best wide receiver seasons i've ever seen this is like calvin 2012 julio was at 2013 yeah some of the great jerry rice seasons the randy moss rookie season this is not as good as those probably, but it is definitely up there. What about the 07 Randy season when he broke uh, the touchdown record? Was that not as impressive as some of the other ones he had? I think that that is a very impressive season. I don't think it was impressive as his rookie year. So Cooper Cup, 
it looks like he broke i think the reception record uh, isaac bruce's reception record uh for the rams which by the way isaac bruce was one of my favorites when i was a kid i loved isaac mm-hmm. bruce mm-hmm. and i think he has a legitimate chance to i think break the the all-time uh record either for the rams or something like that he's he's getting close he's got three games left to break some pretty significant record and do you how how are we going to handle that with 17 versus 16 games i mean randy broke the record but i think they'd only played what 14 yeah so we've been through this before they went from 14 to 16 now 16 to 17 you play the games you get to play also if you get the extra game that means you probably stayed healthy which is in and of itself an accomplishment right uh, even if it's even if it's luck, it's still it's still an accomplishment. So I'm just going to take records as they come now as being being the records career records, though, when you get like all these extra games built in, because over yeah. 10 years, it's another 10 games of their extra half season to put up, put up stats. So that'll sort of skew it, skew it a little bit. But I just I'm just going to take it as when they break the record for the season, they break the record for the season. And that's going to be that's just the cleanest way to do it. And Cooper is not compiling this year like that second touchdown that he had was a great catch on the run well over his head. And he caught it, brought it down and still made it into the end zone, which is insane. Like he has made some unbelievable catches. He had a little bit of a low period in the middle of the season ish. I mean, when they were not winning games, they weren't talking about him as much, but the production is definitely there. He and Matt Stafford, uh, they have some chemistry, and they just got to keep feeding him the ball. Adam Levitan from Establish the Run makes a lot of jokes about like uh, uh, different ways players are connected to to each other, and apparently Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup are like really good friends. And he was saying that they eat breakfast together like every day All right. and just talk about football and the game or whatever and i generally don't put much stock into those sorts of things but when you have like matt stafford coming into a brand new situation so you like find somebody that he connects with quickly we've all changed jobs yep when you change jobs and you quickly get a new work best friend or something like that it really makes transition to the new job that much better cooper cup probably realized pretty quick like oh this guy's way better than the last guy yeah. i got a real opportunity here and i i think there might actually be something to their personal relationship leading to such great play on the field cooper cup and hunter renfro are two dudes that look like they should not be putting up the kind of numbers that they're putting up like just their aesthetic look to them like they look disheveled they don't look like you know the the typical receiver it almost like i don't know i saw the old pictures of of, um of uh what's his name oh crap how am i forgetting his name we're just talking about him right now the guy for the rams the hell is his name isaac bruce no the the guy no the guy we're literally talking about right now the white guy oh number 10 yeah, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. I, I had Connor. I was like, whatever. <laughs> and uh, just all white people look the same. And Chad um, Cup. Facts. Exactly. There you go. And like the old pictures of him, like in high school and college, and it's just so funny because he looks like a nondescript kind of guy. Like he's not like the Metcalf, right? Met- DK Metcalf looks like a an extraterrestrial, and it's just funny to see them. Like when you see their old pictures of guys like in high school and they just don't look like yeah. this guy's going to break the all time Rams receiving record or whatever it is. And it's like that guy. That's just funny to me every time I see him. Yeah. Cooper Cup looks like he should be a competent professional lacrosse player. Yeah. And not 
dominant NFL wide receiver. That's what I'm talking about is he just doesn't yeah. look like that. He looks like the guy that shows up at the country club with like a sweater around his neck like he's coming to play squash, not like he's coming to play with the the big dudes in the NFL. It's, it's great. Yeah. And so to connect this to something we were talking about during the offseason with Kadarius Tony and uh-huh. draft prospects and stuff like that. We, you know, we make fun of Hunter Renfro, but Hunter Renfro was getting targets at Clemson too. He caught the game when he touched it against Alabama, not whatever all not T. Higgins or whoever. Oh, right. right. It was right. it was Hunter Renfro. And the reason that this matters is that earning targets is a skill. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill that you can have without having insane athleticism. Therefore, you can force your way onto the field if you can earn targets, which is why at the wide receiver position, production at a younger age is so important. Yeah. Because it's not as about like an 18-year-old generally is not as physically developed as a 21-year-old. But if you're a skilled route runner good at earning targets, it won't matter. Just like Hunter Renfro isn't that athletic, relatively speaking, to the NFL. Right. But he's still able to get open and get targets. This is why when college players can't start getting targets until they're physically more developed, it's a red flag versus getting targets when they're younger. So this we're actually seeing with Cooper Cup and Hunter Renfro why that's such an important factor when evaluating prospects. Oh, sure. And I'm not saying Hunter Renfro is not talented, but like, when you see him without his helmet on, he just doesn't look like the kind of guy who'd be putting up the kind of numbers that he is this year. He's having a great season. Yeah, no, he's uh he's really good. The game is buffering. I'm tilting. No, it's okay. All right. My last my last note of this game is that the Rams losing streak is forever ago. It's a month in real time and it feels like it was five years ago. They feel as good as any team in the NFL right now. Uh by the way, to update you, AJ Brown caught the touchdown. Oh thank God. Ten catches, Thank goodness. ten for one twenty-seven and a touchdown for for AJ in his return back. So hello, yeah. There we go. Now on the one hand, I'm mad because he's on your team and I want your wife to win. On the other hand, I'm happy. Yeah, because I need be. him. I need him right now. So we've been going for like two hours. Yeah. Do we want to just do like a quick preview of next week, like little one-liners about the games? I'm not gonna lie, I haven't actually looked at them that closely yet, so it would not be too in depth. No. Uh, why don't we? Uh, let, let me let me take a look at it while it's up here. Because I think we we have let's see I'll look at it. So we got this game. So Cleveland at Green Bay and uh, Indianapolis at Arizona. That's our Christmas Day slate. So Cleveland at Green Bay is obviously a must win for the Browns with seven losses in the AFC. I don't. I think they have to win out to to get in. I don't know that that's an actual fact, but it it feels right. So we'll just pretend this is Fox News and that makes it a fact. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Colts at Cardinals again. A huge game for both now because yeah. the Colts are in that, that tough fight in the AFC and they have this really difficult game and the Cardinals could fall back behind the Rams right in the division if they mm-hmm. if they lose. Yes, they could so, for sure. And yeah, let's so see. this is a real one. Ravens at Bengals. So Ravens at Bengals is obviously a huge game. I mean, it's the battle for the AFC North right now. And the Bengals beat them 41 to 17, I believe, earlier this year with Jamar Chase had that crazy play where he like spun through two dudes and just outran everybody to the end zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Ravens might have a little bit of re- revenge on their mind. However, today's Thursday. Lamar Jackson did not practice again. Mm-hmm. So that should be interesting because Cincinnati has an interesting chance to sweep the Ravens and be in the driver's seat for this division because I don't see the Browns doing it. Let's see. Buffalo at New England. We've talked about that one. That's a big one. This one's actually really huge for you. Jacksonville might get a win. They're at the Jets. Yeah. Given how well the Jets played against the Dolphins, though, I I would expect the Jets to just handle their business here in a game that could surprisingly end up being a blowout. But what I about, actually think we could see like a 45 to 10 curb stomping. But what about all those players out for the Jets? Some of them 
are, are pretty meaningful. So as I mentioned earlier in the show, I know the Jets have like 15 players out due to COVID. I don't know who it is or what. And like anything we're saying right now is subject to the fact that there is just COVID all around everywhere. We don't know where it's going to be. Uh, another big one. Steelers at Chiefs. Is that a regular Sunday game? Yeah, 425. Okay. Big game mathematically for the Steelers, but I just I just believe in them so little that I don't think I don't think it matters. I actually think this is a spot where the Chiefs need to continue to show their offensive resurgence. They've won seven straight games. They're the hottest team in the NFL. Can't believe I didn't think about that earlier. Yeah. The Chiefs have won seven straight games, so they're the hottest team in the NFL. But they've only had two straight games of really good offense. And the Chargers was a legitimate team to do it against. But if they can block up TJ Watt and not give a lot of turnovers to this defense and you know, score thirty-one to thirty-eight points in a convincing win. They're gonna, we're gonna start thinking about them as like the Chiefs, Chiefs again. Yep. And uh, the teams that just will not go away: Denver at Vegas. These, neither of these teams will go away. I'm, I kind of just think that we should just be on the just get rid of Vic Fangio for the sake of football. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna be pulling for the pulling for the Raiders in this in this case. I just. How about a tie? Does a tie just eliminate them both? I don't even know. But a tie is just awful in general. And I just, these teams are just hanging around way too long. But either way, your 820 game on Sunday is the football team at Cowboys. Presumably, Taylor Heineke will be back, mm-hmm. which will make it a bit better. Again, this is another, this is an opportunity for the Cowboys to start getting right on offense. I think that, again, their defense is going to swarm. The Cowboys are probably going to win this game. But I would, I would really like to see. A 303 from Dak, 100 from either Amari or C.D. Lamb, a touchdown for the other one. Tony Pollard maybe rushed for 100 yards because I don't think he has it in him. You know, just something like a really good offensive performance here from a couple Cowboys would go a long way towards giving you know them a better fighting chance once they get to the playoffs. And last game Monday night, uh, Tua at New Orleans. Big game for, for the Dolphins and actually for the so, Saints too. Yeah, so we get Tua versus Ian Book. This is a much bigger game for the Saints because they have a much better chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. Um, And they have a much easier schedule after this game. So if they can survive with Ian Book, they might actually win out and be able to sneak be able to sneak into the playoffs. I this is this is a tough one. This is a tough one for the Dolphins. At the Saints is always a tough matchup and it's really tough in prime time. I I think ah, man, Ian Book though. I have to take the Dolphins just because Ian Book was Ian Book came to Michigan with Chase Claypool and lost 45 to 14. I just, I, I can't. I have to take the Dolphins if Ian Book in his, in his first start. All right. I'm with you on that one. So we got a good slate of games on Christmas. I'm actually excited about the games. I think that hopefully they didn't peak early because those are some of the best looking matchups on paper. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is what it is, man. We are so close to the end of this season already. I feel like last year around this time, we were kind of getting our groove as a group. And here we are a year later another season later and we have at least from my count based off of your shout outs we have at least four listeners include not including myself so we're in really good shape <laughs> and uh we can only go up from here but i'd like to give a big shout out to everybody who does listen to the show because you know what it's what we're doing it for and we have a good time doing it so that's your nfl breakdown for the week i think at right now the titans are up 17 to 10 over the 49ers so we are overlapping time because it's apparently time does not matter in a podcast so they could listen to this next year and hear all about jimmy g throwing a terrible interception earlier in this game (laughs) and it just will not matter because trey lance will be holding up the lamar will be holding up the trophy next year so uh there you go 
Anyway, um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, talk to Dave's dad. Uh, you can find him at, <laughs> at, at Political Football Podcast. You can find him there. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. We'll, we will be back next week. We'll see what Cleve has to say for next week. But uh, until then, we wish everybody a happy holidays. Be safe out there. Please don't spread COVID if you can avoid it. But, uh, you know, have a good time and hug your loved ones because it's the time of year to do that. Um, this is my first one without a loved one. And it's a, been a very strange period of time right now. And uh, yes, getting through it with the podcasting stuff and obviously my family downstairs. So, uh, Dave, you know, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever the hell it is you all celebrate. Um, have a good time. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. See you later. Bye bye. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on political football are those of Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Political football is exclusively owned by Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.